When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abu Al Samad. So, way we're we're a little bit sooner this time. A little little bit earlier than <laughs> a, last a few hours. Sunday. A few hours sooner. Yeah, it's it's Friday night. I mean, look. <laughs> Things are busy. You've been going to things, and we'll talk about it uh, with with what's coming up on the, the show. But uh, we'll get to what we're driving first, and I want to see if your experience mirrors mine. So you've had the the uh, Volvo uh, V90. I had the V90 last week, uh, and it was the non cross country edition. So it was the the proper uh, Volvo station wagon experience. Uh, was it brown? You know, the, the, the correct the correct round ride height, and it was in fact brown. The it only thing the the only thing that was missing was a manual transmission and a diesel engine. Yeah, the manual transmission with the push button Laycock uh, J type <laughs> overdrive. Um, yeah, yeah, but no, uh, I mean, no it was a, yeah, brown a brown wagon um, with the uh, it was a T six with the the twin charged engine and uh, it was good. Yeah, it's a lovely car. Um, uh, overall, I I liked it. What was your impression? I thought it was fantastic. Um, I you know I drove it uh, when I was heading up to Flint for a couple of days last week for the to do the first robotics competition uh, judging, and uh, drove it to a few other things. And you know I was I really liked it a lot. Um, you know I mean I'm I'm a fan of station wagons, um, and I you know I like this this particular Volvo. Uh, I think I think I'm really going to like the V60 when it arrives here probably later this year. Uh, they just uh, revealed it at the uh, Geneva show a couple of weeks ago uh, because I think I think the size of the V60 is a little more um, my preference. You know, the, the, the V90 is is pretty big. Uh, it's it's long. And, but, you know, it's, it's funny. You look at it, you know, and it is, you know, it's a front wheel drive transverse engine. Well, it's a it's a transverse engine um, uh, layout, uh, you know, and comes in front wheel drive. This particular one was all wheel drive. Um, but, uh, you know, when you look at it in profile, you know, it's got a surprisingly long hood line, you know, so when you when you it, it looks like something that should be a longitudinal engine rear wheel drive vehicle, um, yeah, which, it, which has the, uh, it, it has the right proportions. Yeah, no. And I, I think the proportions are really good. Um, I, you know, like I said, I think I think I'll prefer I mean, from the photos I've seen, I think I prefer the the 60 series. You know, I mean, it's the same platform, just shortened a little bit. You know, it's a little more, a little tighter, um, you know, than than the 90. But, you know, the 90 is certainly something I can live with. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the interior is, is fantastic. Uh, you know, I, 
I like Volvo's um, plug-in hybrid powertrain, but um, what I don't like, uh, you know, on the plug-in hybrid vehicles is that funky electronic shifter uh, that they use, which you know we've talked about in the past. But um, the the V90 or the the the, the non-plug-in the non-hybrid version has the conventional mechanical shifter, um, you know, which is, I, I find a lot uh, a lot more pleasant and consistent to use. You know, none of the you know having to tap it twice to you know go from um, you know park to driver you know drive to reverse or anything like that uh and ending up accidentally in neutral things like that um the uh you know we we've talked at you know at a fair amount of length you know probably too much length about census in the past certainly with um with casey we did um and while i am still not a fan of the layout um, this one, uh, you know, I don't know if they've made some changes in the software, made some, so- you know, pushed out some software updates. This one did seem like it was responding a little bit quicker than in the past. Um, you know, I, but like I said, I still don't, I mean, it still has the same layout. So even though it's getting, you know, swiping back and forth from screen to screen between the three screens faster than it did before, um, it's still a pain in the neck to, to go to the various things you want to do. Like, you know, if you, if you, you know, if you're in the, in the, in the home screen, the center screen, uh, and I, and if I had Android auto up and if I wanted to change the sound settings, I think you'd have to swipe left to get to the right hand screen. Um, you know, tap on the sound settings, make the changes. And when, when you tap on the sound settings, it, or, you know, you tap on anything on the, the right hand screen, it brings it up in the bottom half of the home screen, the middle screen, and then to get back to what you were doing, you have to swipe back again and tap the other thing. It, you know, so it, the context changes. There's no there's no back button to, to just go back to whatever you were doing previously, um, which, you know, I, I find annoying. And there's just too many taps to get to whatever you want to do. And, you know, trying to remember, you know, if you have to t- swip, swipe to the right or swipe to the left to get to various things is, is a pain in the neck. It's just a bad user interface. Um, and even if it's faster, it's still bad. <laughs> um, maybe they're listening and they will take this all to heart. Unfortunately, I feel like that's a real big part of the whole experience for the V90. And, and I, I say it's unfortunate because like you said, you know, the rest of the car is really good. It's, it's, it's the right size. It's certainly brilliant for doing what you were doing with it. A nice highway run. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty comfortable. I I am not as enamored with Volvo seats over the last 15, 20 years as I was of the earlier ones. Um, and and I think BMW and Mercedes premium seats are are a little better because you you have more adjustability. I would like Volvo to get some more adjustability in there of different parts of the seat, but it's very comfortable. It looks beautiful inside and out. You know that that's what I'm. I'm just. Yeah, I like. love the open pore wood trim in yeah. there. Yeah, I I I am not a fan of high gloss wood veneers in cars, but I I do love a natural looking wood veneer, and this it looks great in this car. This one had the the lighter you know the tan colored leather and then uh, the walnut trim, and is that the darker great, wood? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, it's it lovely. Fantastic. It's just, yeah, it like, it doesn't matter what it costs because it just, it looks very premium. And, mm-hmm. and when you look at the sticker, certainly it's not a cheap car, but you look at, at what it comes equipped with as a T6, I'm sure it's pretty, pretty well loaded. 
And then you look at the just the design and the quality of the materials and the assembly. It's a very good car, and it's priced very well for its its segment. Well, it's just certainly still expensive, I'm sure. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, this one know. this one was seventy thousand dollars. Was it sixty nine five? Yeah. I think, okay, so like it's seventy thousand dollars, but it's it's a big wagon of which mm-hmm. there aren't that many. Uh, it's all wheel drive. It's got three hundred horsepower with the T six. Three fifteen, um, yeah. Oh, it's okay. So it's it, it keeps going up. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I know, think it's been it, three fifteen all along. Has it? Yeah. Um, uh, maybe I just keep paying more and more attention. You're just, to you're just rounding to the nearest, uh, the nearest single, yeah, uh, near, near, most significant right? digit. Right. Uh, cause that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and it just like, it's very distinctive. It's, it, it feels like, I hate to say this. It almost, it does. It feels like a, a relative bargain given it's, it's market segment for $70,000. I mean, it's certainly, it's most direct competitors are going to cost more equipped the same way. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, probably the, the closest direct competitor to this would probably be a Mercedes E-Class coupe, uh, which I'm pretty sure is going to be, or coupe, E-Class wagon um, is probably going to be quite a bit more expensive, you know, for something like this. I think Uh, the E-Class wagon starts at like 60 something. Yeah. The E-Class wagon starts at 63. Uh, and then, you know, so for an E 400 formatic, uh, yeah, you're going to start at 63 and, you know, in, in typical German fashion, you know, as soon as you start adding any options, you know, you're rapidly going to get, you know, uh, significantly more than that. Yeah. So, I mean, the Volvo is really in this, this sweet spot and I, I think they're capitalizing on it very well too, uh, where, you know, certainly they're offering crossovers and SUVs for that part of the market that's actually buying, but they have these wagons that are this kind of niche product that everybody loves. Even if they're buying crossovers, they say, oh, that's a nice wagon. So eventually, if and when the tide does turn away from crossovers, they're going to have something there. <laughs> you know? And it, yeah, like, well, there's, at, this, at this point right now, there's a lot of automakers that are hoping, hoping that that isn't going to happen anytime soon because they're putting a lot of eggs in that crossover uh, basket. Yeah. We'll get back yeah, to that. Yeah, I was going to say, we could we could talk about that for sure. And then Volvo themselves is, is putting their eggs in that basket. And honestly, like, the V90 is really an XC90. It's all that uh, SBA, archi- uh, SBA architecture is redundant, but it's all the SBA platform. So yeah, it's all, you know, same pieces, sort of different, different arrangement. So it's it's not that expensive relatively for them to make the wagon version of the same car that's the crossover or the SUV. Um, so it, it, it seems like they've they've done really well being owned and, and cash infused by Geely. I saw I can't remember where I saw it, um, but it, it was actually a, it might have been about the XC40, which is coming too. But I saw something on Twitter that said, you know, Ford's biggest mistake was was selling Volvo. And I and I don't think that's true Uh, because I don't think Volvo today would be what it is if Ford hadn't sold it. I don't think Ford would have put the money that Geely put in to create this whole new range of models. You know, they've got two new architectures and and. They've refreshed, I think, the entire model range now. Um, yeah, with the 40 um, series, it's all new now. I mean, I think we still have uh, one or two more 40 series models yet to come. 
uh, you know, like probably a, an S40 or, or maybe a, a C40, you know, or so, some sort of 40 series uh, hatchback, which will prob- probably won't come to the U.S. market. It'll probably be uh, for Europe only, but uh, we'll probably see at least one more 40 series model coming from them. Yeah. So Ford wouldn't have done that. And if Ford had had invested that heavily, it would be on platforms that are shared with every other Ford you know, line. And right. and that's that's not to knock Ford, because I think they actually did a really good job with Volvo, especially in the the initial part of the purchase. They rolled out a lot of stuff that was pretty, pretty groundbreaking and, and really had a pretty good identity uh, back almost 20 years ago now. Uh, back yeah, in the early and, 2000s. and Ford, you know, Ford leveraged that platform, uh, you know, for the, the P2, I think. Yeah, the for, P2 was the original S80, yeah. Right, you know, they leveraged that platform for a whole bunch of Ford and Lincoln brand vehicles as well. So, you know, they, they got their money's worth out of that platform. For sure. And I think they've done, they did a good job with the brand. I, I, I always um, found it, you know, slightly to my chagrin in the, the enthusiast uh, mailing lists and stuff where people would start knocking forward ownership and like, <laughs> you don't understand. Like they don't have sobs anymore. <laughs> Sob yeah. people can't buy a sob. So count your blessings. Uh, and, and, and yeah. Uh, so it, we didn't beat up on census that much this week. I think that's good. No. Uh, and in fact, I've got more good stuff to say about Volvo. Uh, all right. The, well, let's the, say the more other good thing, stuff. The, the other thing that surprised me, you know, I've, I've been fairly critical of Volvo's pilot assist in the past, which is their, <clears throat> it's their uh, level two semi-automated uh, system, you know, that does adaptive cruise control and, and uh, lane centering in the past. And I still think it's, probably the the weakest of the systems that i've driven but it it did on this car at least it did feel like it's gotten better so you know again i can't say for certain you know that they've made changes but it certainly felt a little better on this one um it still struggles yeah on the on the plus side it seemed to do a better job with lane recognition than a lot of the previous you know the previous s90 and xc90s that i've driven um, so that part was better, even, even in the rain, it did a better job with that. Uh, but it still struggles a bit with trying to hold the lane, you know? So, you know, if you're on a, on a highway curve, it does tend to drift to the outside. You know, if you, if you're not holding on, I mean, you're supposed to hold onto the wheel anyway, it's not a hands-off system. Uh, but if you kind of, you know, just kind of hold it tightly and don't really try to hold the lane just to see what it'll do, it will tend to drift out of the lane on a curve. Um, you know, straight line, it does okay. So it's not a system that I would trust necessarily, um, you know, to, to keep you out of trouble, but it's, it's making, it seems to be making some progress in the right direction. Yeah, and I think they've got to figure out too how capable do we make this system. So I wonder if they're sort of erring on the side of like, you know what, it's okay if it drifts out of the lane. That means that people can't get complacent. Yeah, <laughs> and so they, uh, you know, I I don't think that that's actually what they want to do. You know, because they that's certainly not the um, the impression they give when they talk about it. They you know they. You know, if you look at the promotional materials, look at the videos, you know, it it makes it seem more capable than than it is. Um, but, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about this you know, and written about this on numerous occasions that, you know, I am 
not, you know, having driven many of these systems now, I'm not convinced that any level two or level three system, you know, so that's, those are systems that are partially automated or, or have conditional automation. So they're, they're not, you know, truly, you know, they're not truly autonomous, but they, they will do some of the control for you. I am, I'm unconvinced that that's necessarily a good idea or, or a net positive because I think people are inherently going to tend to get complacent, even, even if they realize that, uh, you know, it's not necessarily as good as they might want. Uh, you know, and I was, I was speaking on a panel at a conference this week in Detroit here on automated vehicles. and, And we were talking about human factors and, um, you know, uh, the, the other panelists also, uh, agreed with that, that, you know, we're, we're not sure that this is necessarily the right direction to go that, you know, until we get to, you know, fully automated vehicles, you know, maybe we should back off a little and make sure that people really understand that, you know, these systems are not the systems that are on the road today are not capable of being self-driving. Yeah. I honestly, I think self-driving has, I almost feel like it's peaked for the moment, the amount of buzz around it. And oh, now no, no, not even really? close. Oh, that's no. too bad. Because, I mean, we're starting to see a correction in, in at least the messaging like, hey, it's not not fully autonomous. That's not really the accurate thing to call it. Maybe it's just my own personal uh, think, echo chamber. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I think there's there's a few people that are starting to to say that. But I think a lot of the mainstream media is still very much on the the upward gradient of the hype cycle. Uh, I mean, bad. just just a week or two ago, there was a CNBC story that you know purported to you know compare Cadillac Super Cruise and an autopilot, and and I, I think it might have been the Volvo system, uh, or maybe it was the Mercedes system, and, and declared the Cadillac Cadillac the best self driving system. Yeah, you know, and it's just it's it's not it's not self driving. Period. You know, <laughs> tell all your friends there is no self-driving system available on the market today from any car maker. Right. Right. The only self-driving system is you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As oh, as I long like that I should I should trademark uh, that as as long as long as the uh, the meat bag behind the wheel is the redundant backup system, it's not self-driving. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of pieces that need to really go into it that are kind of up in the air right now. There's a pretty strong feeling uh, among at least some folks uh, that V2I has got to be a part of it. And so what does that mean if if inter- infrastructure is really integral uh, to yeah, actually not, full autonomy? I, I, like think, that's I, think, gonna... I think V2I is actually less integral than, uh, than V2V. I think V2V is actually more important vehicle to vehicle communications uh, because that's more real time. The, I mean, the, a lot of what you're going to get from, uh, you know, from infrastructure is not the real time control stuff. You know, that, that's stuff that we can do today with telematic systems, you know, and, and all these cars already have that. So things like, um, you know, no, you know, being able to get, you know, traffic light, traffic signal updates, you know, those, those are not, uh, those aren't, aren't the real time control things there. They can come in at a slower rate and you're less dependent on those. I think what's more important is uh, knowing, you know, knowing the intent of the other vehicles around you um, and what they're doing or about to do or what they're detecting. That I think is actually more important for uh, automated vehicles. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that makes sense. 
I, either way, we are we are years from any of this stuff actually living up to the hype. And uh, honestly, it probably doesn't solve the problems that they're saying it solves yet. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's just other cultural shifts that have to happen before those problems get solved. Just giving somebody a car that drives itself still means you've got a single person in a car that has... <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, that's a whole other topic of, you know, coordinating, uh, coordinating the, you know, automated vehicles and mobility services together and with transit systems and so on to make sure that we're not just throwing more vehicles on the road and actually making congestion worse. Um, And that's, you know, that's something I also talked about at the conference this week with uh, with somebody from Uber and it was, it was amazing talking to somebody from from Uber that actually, um, you know, seemed you know to be like a human being. What? Yeah. That's. I'm but, sorry. What but but, but you know he he not. was he was actually somebody that went to Uber you know from an automaker, um, so he he wasn't a, a Silicon Valley bro. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so he he was capable. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. We shouldn't throw so much shade at Silicon Valley bros. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to throw less. <laughs> oh, they usually deserve it. Yeah. All right. Oh. <laughs> Why don't we just change the subject? Let's change the subject. Uh, okay. So I Towards you a, drive. Uh, I had an Infinity Q60S all-wheel drive, which, uh, you know, I've always been fond of the Infinity Coupes, the earlier G37, you know, FM platform-based uh Coupe was also one of my favorites. Uh, you know, they've had a good basic coupe shape with uh, it, this time around. It's got the the pretty styling, the, the sort of striking design of the Q60 sedan. I think it's the Q60 now. I, I can't I can't keep uh, it. Q50. Q50. OK, uh, the Q sedan. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're all Qs. Um, yeah. I mean, That's just so different numbers. In- Damn it, Infinity! Why do you do this? Hey, don't I, just blame Infinity. It's all of the luxury brands you know, do this. Ridiculous. Like, Infinity has always had numbers like alphanumerics, but they changed them. <laughs> yeah, they went from having a different letter for each series, and then numbers that represented the the, the engine size, to all the cars being Qs and all the the utilities being QXs, and then just random numbers like the sixty. We know it's more than the 50 right there's a q50 which is yeah q50 is the i i'm so i don't even know they they sort of more or less go up on based on size but not always because you know the q50 is the sedan and the q60 is the coupe version of that which is actually slightly smaller than the sedan right but it's the coupe so it's one more it's right I whatever. So wait, so this is basically the G37 replacement is the Q50 yes. Q60. So what's yeah. the what's the M class now? What is that? That's what, the Q70, which is a long wheelbase version of the Q50. All right. Anyway, you know the most striking part about this car was how <laughs> What did you ta- what did you like about this car? Yeah, how great they are at um bending metal. I I just like standing back from it and looking at it. A, I think it's a really pretty car. It's a very, it's a pretty coupe. And I was looking down the, the side of the, the body panel and there's really deep forming in the body sides. 
is a it's a sort of really deep draw. Um, mm-hmm. And it crosses three panels. So it, it, that and they're all is, lined up, right? That was what got me. The lines all match up. It's a very deep draw. And it, it's, you know, the rear quarter panel is fixed that that's not moving. But the door skin has a ton of positional variables. Like you've actually got the assembly of the door skin under the door frame and then all of the variables at the hinge adjustment for, you know, up, down, in, out. You know, uh, I, I, I'm sure they all the axes are named, but there's a lot of different ways that can, has at least six different directions that can move. Uh, and then the front quarter panel, the same. There's a bunch of different directions that could move. That line was straight. You know, the tolerance was was really tight. And then the, the panel gaps are small, too. I just like, regardless of driving it, it's it's but, a really but any, just anybody can do at. that stuff, right? That's that shit's hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's. Are uh, you implying that there are some some uh, companies that uh, don't seem to be capable of doing things like that? You know, I don't think any company was capable of it till pretty recently. Like, just cars have just gotten really, really good in terms of the actual physical design stamping assembly and there are still some automakers who are not good at this um i don't think anybody in particular you might want to name i mean i we've talked about this i I know where you're going (laughs) (laughs) can't seem to draw you into this one huh i i mean you don't you don't want to slam tesla huh well i mean certainly what i've seen of even the model s like it, they're not going to do a deep draw body panel like this and pull it off. Like the Tesla, well, I mean, really even with slapping. the relatively simple contours that Tesla has yeah. on their cars, you know, they are not even close to this level of fit and finish on their bodies. Not even close. Yeah. I mean, and, it's, and, and worse, it's not just that they're not close. They're, they're not even consistent. You know, if they, if they had, you know, wider gaps, you know, um, if if they were at least consistent across right. all of them, that would be, you know, a little more acceptable, but they're, they're all over the map. Some of them are close. Some of them are tight. Some of them are misaligned one direction and other directions. It just, it's terrible. Right. That that's, we've solved that. Like you can go buy a Malibu that has really consistent and tight panel gaps and good paint quality. Hell, and, and you can buy, you can buy a Mitsubishi that does that. Yet not the Mirage. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But you know well, what? Actually, the Mirage is okay. The paint quality is not great, and the panel gaps are kind of large. But, I mean, given the price. But at least, and, the, but at least they're aligned. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm not, I'm not throwing shade at the Mirage. I think uh, it, it. you look at that car, and it, it kind of it is what it is. But you, you start to look around. It's logically engineered, and it, it looks like it was made by people who know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's it's really hard to to pull something like this off although it's subtle i don't know that everybody appreciates that but i you know i I got to thinking you know what caught my eye was the play of light along the body side and yeah i mean i'm I'm looking at my photos from last summer when i had uh or last spring when i had the q60 and yeah i mean you're you're right i mean it, it is it's a it's a pretty complex shape that they've stamped, you know, into you know, the front and, and rear fenders, which are separate pieces of metal and the door skin. And it's all perfectly aligned all the way across multiple yeah. creases. And if it's out of tolerance by, or if it's out of alignment by anything more than the tolerance, it's going to, it's going to knock the, the, the reflection, the shadow or highlights are going to look weird. And mm-hmm. it's going to take you right out of your, your sort of gaze. You're going to be like, what the hell, <laughs> you know? 
Uh, and there are cars you can, I, I spend a lot of time in stop and go traffic. So I, I wind up looking at these things. There are cars that are consistently like they have funky reflections because of whatever reason. And like this is just, it was flawless. The, I was really impressed with the, the build quality, just the way the car is, is screwed together. Um, and, and, you know, that's, I think, the other outstanding thing about the Q60. It's just really it's a celebration of design. It's a it's a beautiful car uh, inside and out. The materials are good. The, the, the every everywhere you look, there's a little design touch. Um, so it's, it's almost it's like it's a, a car that pleases the the esthete um you know there's even just like this little bump on the uh the front uh fascia yeah that little crease right above the middle of the grill yeah it's just this little like it's it's those kind of things are like they they surprise you and and therefore and they're done well so they they also delight you at the same time it i just i loved looking at this car i loved looking at the the gauge panel inside it just again there's there's like little little accents um what did you, know, you love? Very... How, how did you feel about looking at the center console? Uh, I liked all the <laughs> fingerprints it picked up. <laughs> no, I, I like it looks. I'm sure it looks great when it's all cleaned up with a microfiber cloth. Uh, I it's not great to, to operate, but um, it looks at least sleeker and more modern than the uh, Nissan infotainment system that we've all come to know and love. I or at least no in some quotes right like uh you know their infotainment is okay it's not great uh it's it's that it doesn't go as deep as census but it's still like it's a little obtuse you gotta hunt and peck for for some features uh like okay so every media car i get and this this is odd uh has a lot of phones paired to it so some cars only have like five slots for phones <laughs> so it's so the first full. thing you got to do is go in and delete all the other phones. Right. Or at least one. I got to make room. So usually you hit like pair and it's like, oh, all the phones are full. Would you like to delete one? And you say, yes. This one said all the phones are full. Delete one. Doesn't say how. It doesn't take <laughs> me to delete one. There's not like a delete phones thing. I had to actually search for it. Um, I had to Google search for it. And so what you do is you go into the phone screen and you the connect phone screen. You turn bluetooth off although i think it'll do it with bluetooth on and you actually press the phone like the the skeuomorphic icon button next to it and then it brings up the delete phone thing i was like well that's completely counterintuitive that's that's crappy so while the physical designers did a fantastic job the ui designers did crappy work and that's nissan like globally because i have another nissan vehicle this week and it's the same way so um yeah that could use some work (laughs) Uh, beyond the way it looks though, it, it, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to think of how it drives. Uh, what, what did you think of it when you drove it? I, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's not, it's not an all out sports car for certain. Right. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, it's not a Z, uh, even though I think, you know, under, under the skin, you know, it, I think it actually shares a lot of hardware with the Z. Uh, or at least, you know, a lot of the basic architecture with the Z. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, it's on, you know, as an all wheel drive, you know, luxury car with all these amenities on there, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's going to be on the heavier side. I think it's, you know, it's well over 4,000 pounds. Um, 
but you know, I, I enjoyed driving it. You know, it, it yeah. feels, it feels like a, you know, like a, a really nice, you know, touring car, um, you know, and it, it, you know, it handles the curves well enough. Um, you know, the, I, you know, I think the, the average, the average driver, you know, is not going to have an issue f- with it. You know, this, this is, you know, this is not a GTR by any stretch of the imagination. Sure. Uh, you, you know, I, I do wish I caught myself wishing a couple of times that they were, they made a Z with this engine because this has the, the twin turbo three liter uh, V6. It's phenomenal. It <laughs> it's is. It's really very good. Engine. It's super punchy. It's nice and, and refined. It's it's a smaller uh, VQ, so it's 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 a little smoother. Um, it's just it's really it's a good engine. It's a good transmission. Um, I found that overall, I liked the Q60 best in Sport Plus mode uh, for whatever reason. Like it didn't ever get harsh, but it, it, the the drive modes made a, a significant difference. Um, and it has steer by wire. And so that it actually like the steering is never not numb. It's always numb, but it's at least a little bit better in sport plus mode. Uh, otherwise, I, it just like there was a bit of disconnect and it, it is not laggy or anything like that. It just it felt kind of like video gamey. And yeah, I mean, you, you don't you don't get anything that resembles natural feedback. But on the other yeah. hand, I think it does a good job of. Of, of track, you know, of tracking, uh, you know, the relationship between what your hands are doing with the wheel versus the direction the car is going, I think is, a, is it feels relatively natural, even though it doesn't necessarily, did I say it feels natural? I guess. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you're not going to get the, na- the feedback that you're going to get, but the, the relationship, you know, between the angle of the steering wheel and the direction of the car does feel natural yeah so if that makes sense like, yeah you so get proportional input or proportional, yes. well, proportional well, response. well the thing is it's not i mean even even a a, a completely mechanical system is it's not actually proportional um you, you because get the, the perception of proportional response yes it, you it, get it, what you expect yes exactly <laughs> um but the, the problem so it is feels natural I, and non-natural at the same time right i i just really missed the feedback that's one of the, the great joys of driving is especially a, a well-designed uh, suspension and, and steering system. And that's actually one of the things that I really, really liked about the FM platform was the way, you know, the steering loads up in a turn. You feel it get a little heavier when the tires are, are working harder. You, you can tell what's going on. This was, was nothing. So I don't care how good it is. Without that feedback, you're always going to be... I think chasing the line, you know, you're, you're going to be putting a little too much in and having to correct. And I just don't ever know that it's going to get natural. But, but said, think of it in, in the context of who the infinity customer is. Uh, the, person, the person that buys the Q60 is probably not looking for that. They do not care. And you can right. hustle the car. The, the, oh, yeah. This car can be hustled. Uh, and it, it's like, that's where a lot of this stuff falls apart is like, it works fine for that, you know, normal consumer or the target buyer. But when you, you, you actually try to wring it out, then you start to, you feel the delay. Yeah. I remember some of the earlier, like throttle by wire systems and stuff. <laughs> you can get ahead of it. You can get ahead of electric boost, electric steering mm-hmm. sometimes. Uh, none of that happens. It, you can, you can hustle the Q60 if you want to. Um, 
It's just, it's not quite as rewarding as it could be. And that's, that's kind of a shame. But I think too, that eventually they'll figure out how to put some feedback back in there. You know, you just, you, you apply a little counter torque with the, the steering, you know, the, with a motor and, and you can get some of that natural feedback back in there. I, I don't know how much. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not a, it's not a trivial thing to do, you know, because it, it's, it, it's actually a, a surprisingly hard software control really, problem. Yeah. I bet it's really uh, difficult. Yeah, I mean, you know, to to get the to get that algorithm tuned just right to make it feel natural and give you what feels like natural feedback um, is is hard. It's 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 complex. It's a complicated problem, uh, but it is possible. Yeah. So, it, it, like everything else, this will get there. And then, you know, the packaging benefits that you get from from not actually having a uh, a physical basically a drive, you know, physical shaft, like the steering column that goes all the way to the rack. Um, there's, there's, there's benefit from that. There's also just stark terror when you consider that, <laughs> <laughs> like um, there's no physical connection here, but I, I mean, but again, the upside is the, 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 the typical customer of this car is, you know, they're not going to think about that. Yeah. Look, it's like, we, we are, we are outliers. Fly. Yeah. Air, airplanes fly without it. <laughs> and they and they very rarely there. fall out of the sky so that's, you know that's true look it's not flying this dangerous it's crashing that's uh, right but it's no, that I sudden mean, stop at the end <laughs> it's not uh, it's not the speed that kills you it's the sudden deceleration right exactly the speed is fine uh yeah yeah really same, like same thing you know sudden sudden uh, sudden acceleration sudden unintended acceleration that's not what kills you it's the sudden unintended deceleration that kills you we need to get yeah, we need what? to get these this terminology straight, right? Um, it, this is a this is a good car. This is a good coupe. Infinity, I think Infinity outdoes Lexus for sure. If we're comparing their direct analogs, like their their direct competitors, um, Infinities just feel that much more premium, better better designed, better finished, um, and and so I, I feel like they're they're playing in a different space. I think than Lexus, um, and even in a different space than, than BMW, Mercedes, Audi, you know, uh, and to, like Cadillac, I guess makes some coupes that I don't yeah, know. Yeah, They make, I, they still make the ATS coupe, which would be the yeah. closest thing to this. Um, you know, and you can get the, the ATS V, you know, which is a twin turbo V six, uh, which is actually a little more powerful in this, but, but you know, that's probably the closest thing you're going to get from Cadillac, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, compare probably the closest Lexus analog to this would be the RC. And this is oh, the RC de- is nice. definitely, <laughs> yeah, but, but this is, this is definitely, you know, in terms of style, I mean, you look at this car and I, th- I think, you know, this, this is, you know, definitely a step above the RC. You think um, so? I'm, I'm not sure. Now I'm going to waffle a little bit. I uh, I really like the RC too. I, I, you know, I like the RC, but you know, I, I'm I'm looking at at this this photo of this car right now, and the, you know, there's something about this that's of a piece. You know, it's it's a it's a cohesive design that I think works really well, and and it's it's probably this. I would say it's probably the single best example of the current Infinity design language. Um, you know, and I think. You know, for to to you know for a Lexus coupe that is better than this, I think you really need to step up to the LC, which is a a significantly more expensive car than this is. Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, 
we have an embarrassment of riches apparently in premium coupes and that's that's, <laughs> that's okay. right and this is so this is the q60 let's enjoy it while sport. we can before they all yeah. give way to suvs They're completely going to disappear this is this was the red sport 400 so it was the top of the range oh yeah um and it had the the 20 inch alloy wheels and it had a carbon fiber package on it so uh you know it was it was pretty much the full boat um but the red sport 400 starts at 54 and I think with the the options it had on it, I think it, it came up to about seventy thousand um, dollars. I don't have the Monroney in front of me, but that's not again like it's expensive. But fifty four thousand is a pretty good deal for it. it you know, you, you add the packages and it starts to get it starts to get pricey because it had all of the uh, it had Pro Assist and and uh, Proactive. And I tried that stuff out. It it wasn't bad. It actually took me a couple of days to realize that it, the lane centering assist kind of stuff was still on. Because um, I, was, I was still trying to figure out like what's going on with the steering. And I was like, what what is that weirdness? And it was just you, it it trying to help me out. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, I, I, I wander all over the lines cause I'm, you know, I'm on back roads and stuff and looking for the apex. So yeah, let's stop that. Um, and it, it, it's a good deal again. Like it's a, we're, we talked premium cars this week and I've probably blabbed on too much about it, but two affordable, uh, expressive sort of, uh, affordable is in, Again, Afford- affordable in like, their in their segments, you know, compared relative right. to relative to their competitors, you know, they're yeah. they are uh, affordable. I mean, you know, certainly, you know, for the average consumer, they're way out of most people's price range. But if you're in the market for a vehicle of this type, you know, they then they definitely fit. And yeah, yeah, just looking at the the you know, Lexus, you know, the RCF, which is probably the closest you're going to get to this. Uh, which is actually a little more powerful, but it's also quite a bit heavier. Uh, it starts at sixty-five thousand. Right, so it's gonna just gonna top out more expensive once you get yeah. everything in it. Um, and I, I guess the the true test was I had it. We had an epic snowstorm because we've been having like one nor'easter a week. Uh, it was really really good in that I put it in snow mode. It was nice and stable. Uh, the headlights do suck in the snow. They have a lot of scatter i don't know why but i I kept trying to just shut off the headlights and leave on the fog lamps there it's not it won't do that uh some cars do some cars don't this this one did not um so it was really really hard to see (laughs) driving home that evening uh but other than that it was good in the snow and it's infotainment you know the the hvac controls are outside of the infotainment screen so it has physical buttons for that it's like all the little ancillary stuff is, is really well done so uh yeah it's it's a it's a pretty good coupe i kind of dig it i i hope they sort out the steering that's if that's the worst i can say they've done a pretty good job yeah i mean you can't complain too much about that all right let's complain about something else though (laughs) okay (laughs) Uh, um on our list let's see uh so this was like a, what a week and a half ago or so now. GM um one of the one of the executives uh was it Dan? Uh, Actually, it was just Monday. GM. Oh, it feels. Oh, you know what it is? Snowstorms. Screw ah, all of yeah. them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So uh, on Monday, um, Dan Nicholson, who is the uh, GM's VP of Global Propulsion Systems, so he's he's in charge of all the all the parts of the of GM's cars that make them go, um, whether it's with an internal combustion engine or an electric motor. Uh, those all those folks report to Dan. Um, he spoke at the uh, AFPM 
conference in New Orleans, I think, which AFPM is uh, the American uh, Fuel and Petroleum Manufacturer, Petrochemical Manufacturers Association. Um, and so anyway, he, he did a talk there and he made the case for why uh, premium gas uh, or, or, or a new grade of premium gas should effectively become the new baseline uh, for internal combustion engines. And so what he advocated for was adopting 95 Ron gasoline. Um, and so first, you know, it's a little little background on octane. Uh, so, you know, gasoline, there, first of all, there is no such thing as pure gasoline. It, it, do, it does not exist in the universe. But there's Gas- a website that says pure gas. Yeah, well, uh, that's nonsense. Um, there, 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 you cannot, you know, extract gasoline, you know, gasoline as there, there is no one definition of what gasoline is. Gasoline is, is a hydro, uh, hydrocarbon fuel that is a typically a mix of primarily octane and heptane, which are two, you know, carbon hydrogen um, uh, compounds, and then a whole bunch of other stuff to give it various properties. And, you know, um, they, as, as you go up and go to longer carbon change, carbon chains, uh, the fuel has more, uh, tends to have more, uh, resistance to self-ignition. Uh, and so that's, you know, octane is an eight carbon molecule. So basically, um, they, they came up with a, a mechanism for rating, uh, gasoline or, you know, f- engine fuels, liquid fuels, um, giving them a rating that's relative to pure octane. Uh, so anything that has the same uh, self-ignition uh, resistance as pure octane would be 100 octane. And then, you know, it goes down from there because we're, we're blending different stuff. Um, and, you know, lower octane fuels tend to be cheaper to produce. And, and that's why they're cheaper at the pump. So um, today, we have, you know, the octane you buy in, in North America or the fuel you buy in North America uh, is actually rated uh, with what they call a pump octane number, which is actually the average of the motor octane and the research octane numbers. And I'm not going to go into all the details, but basically there's two different main methodologies for testing octane. And what they do is they take the average of those. That's the number you see on the pump. So regular fuel today, it's 87 octane. Mid-grade is 89 Um and premium is 91 and 91 octane pump pump octane is typically an, about a 95 research octane number. And essentially what Nicholson was advocating for was that uh, essentially a 91 pump octane should be, but it's actually a little bit different from the 91 octane fuel we get today should be the new standard and why they want, why he wants to do that. And why a lot of automakers would like to do that is it allows you uh, to run your and en- you know optimize your engines for if you have a higher higher if you know you're going to have higher octane fuels, you can optimize the engines with a little higher compression. They can run more efficiently. You can reduce the pumping losses, um, and you can get about three percent or so fuel efficiency improvement uh, from doing that um, so, without without really adding anything to the cost of the engine. Right, uh, the skeptic is going to say, well, this is just, I mean, he's talking to petroleum executives. Of course, he wants to advocate for the expensive fuel. But if it becomes the standard and the the other ones go away or become less popular, I think 
the one that gets bought the most is going to actually be the cheapest one and the other ones will get more expensive you know, like 80 87 and and 89 if they're still available would actually rise in price you know sort of the supply demand um thing at least that looking yeah. into it that's sort of what i what i discovered was it, it may not ever be as as cheap because it's it is a higher grade fuel but then again you know if that's all what they're making and what everybody's buying it's not it, it may not wind up being premium it's just fuel <laughs> right and yeah you know I, I i was on the phone on monday morning bef- um with uh with with dan nicholson and also chet thompson who's the president of afpm <clears throat> and um uh you know we we talked about that you know because in uh I, you know, I wrote in the article I wrote up about this, you know, I, I talked about the, the pricing, you know, and, and did some, some basic calculations. And, um, and it, tur- you know, turns out that, you know, based on today's prices, you know, where, where average fuel prices are today, you know, it would, uh, you know, there would actually be a significant cost increase to the consumer, you know, to get that 3% improvement in fuel economy, uh, significantly more than, for example, using, um, you know, 48 volt mild hybrid system. Um, it would, you know, the, the net cost over five years, I think, uh, is what I calculated would be about $2,000. Um, but that's, you know, based on current fuel prices and Chet Thompson explained that, you know, only about 10% of the fuel made and sold today is 91 octane premium fuel. Um, and if they went to, they made that the standard, if they made 95 Ron octane, the standard, now that would be the, ma- the majority of the fuel and the price would come down significantly. And so that, that price differential between what we know of as regular today and this new higher octane regular fuel, um, would the, that price differential, you know, would, would probably be almost eliminated, uh, if they, if they changed, if they, you know, uh, recalibrated the, the refineries to do that higher, you know, to produce mostly that higher octane fuel rather than the lower octane fuel. So the, the cost differential would be fairly minimal. And, you know, they, you know, Nicholson, uh, believes that, you know, it would actually be a net benefit to consumers, you know, cause the, with the, with the fuel savings, they would end up spending less. And, you know, the, the advantage, you know, in, in the past, in the past couple, in the past few years, you know, I've had some conversations with people who've advocated going as high as a hundred octane, um, you know, and then if you really optimize the engines for that, you can get even more efficiency out of them. You can get up to about a 10% boost in efficiency. But, um, when you do that, then, um, you know, now you've got to have, um, you've got to change the pumps, uh, to, uh, account for that. Um, you know, because to get to that higher level of, of, uh, octane, you've got to use more, more ethanol, uh, to do it cost effectively. Uh, and so now you've got to have protections against misfueling and, and all kinds of other issues that are going to raise costs. Um, you know, because you don't want to put that fuel into, or you don't want to put cheaper, you know, lower octane fuel into those engines. Cause now, now you have the potential for damage. Whereas, well, so is that like, is that still an issue really with today's engine management where if you fuel it with a lower octane fuel, it, it, I mean, I guess if you, if, if you, if you do it for an extended period of time, yeah, it can cause some damage. 
Um, you okay. know, if you an occasional, occasionally throwing a little bit of lower octane fuel in there isn't going to hurt them, but it, you know, it can o- over time, you know, extended use of low octane fuels, you know, so typically what you find today is you'll, you know, they'll have, you know, engines will either be labeled as uh, premium recommended or right. premium required. If it says premium recommended, then it's fine to run it on lower octane fuel. You'll just get less performance. If it says premium recommend or premium required, then it's been more optimized for that higher octane fuel. And if you do run it for extended periods of time on the higher on low octane fuel, you can start to cause some engine damage. I wonder how many media fleet cars get fueled on on regular <laughs> just constantly, no matter what they are. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure my fleet guys no, they, do they what's recommended. Do that, they? No, at least not here. Like those, the fleet guys here in New England are pretty good with that stuff. Uh, but the writers, uh, when we're filling up the cars, <laughs> I'm sure some of us are like, I'm not putting that much. Like you know, uh, I'm not paying that much. Uh, it's a theory. It's just just a theory. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so. So anyway, the, you know, basically, according to Nicholson, you know, they they modeled all this stuff and, and figured out that the, the best balance overall in terms of minimizing cost and maximizing the efficiency improvement is at 95 Ron or about 91 pump octane. So and, and at the end of the day, this is an efficiency play. They want to be able to raise compression ratios and. Uh, you know, boost levels and just be that much safer and run, run the engines in a higher state of tune and pick up some efficiency that way. And uh, fuel is really almost like a, an easy way to get there or an easier way to get there because right now they're, they've got to take into account those people who my hypothetical auto writer are going to just fuel it with 87. Right. You know, um, it's, you know, compared to all of the other things that you can do that are going to increase the efficiency of of an internal combustion engine, um, raising the compression ratio is probably the cheapest one because basically all you need to do is change out the pistons and then recalibrate it. You know, so the the you know the, you're talking different pistons, uh, different different software calibrations, but you know, the, the cost of those pistons, you know, is essentially going to be the same as if you, um, you know, if, if you, uh, you know, did lower octane fuel. So there, there's almost no incremental cost to the engine. Uh, you know, the only, the only incremental cost you might see is the fuel itself. And even that, you know, they, they believe, you know, that cost differential will largely go away when, if they switch over to making that as the baseline fuel. Yeah. So uh, like what what's your take on it is like it it made a little bit of a splash. Uh I don't it's certainly news. I, I don't I don't know that it's a a bad thing. It seems like they've they've done the study and I it, it kind of can't hurt. I I like engines with more compression. They tend to be a little bit more lively. Yeah, no, I I I totally agree. I mean, the you know, the the only concern I have uh with the the whole idea is I mean from you know purely from an engineering standpoint a mechanical standpoint higher compression you know absolutely a, a good thing you know you know it's more more torque and uh, you know you're the the way it's working when you have a, a higher 
a higher compression ratio and, and more importantly the expand you know the expansion ratio in the engine um you know you get you're extracting more of the energy out of the fuel during that uh during that expansion stroke and so um you know that's that's absolutely a good thing the only concern i have is you know if we do this you know are the oil companies actually going to reduce the price gap between 87 octane and and higher octane fuels but you know it, when they start making more of the higher octane fuels and um you know why you know i i you know i don't know i don't know why i would think that an oil company might you know decide to you know take more profit while doing this but uh you know it just seems like that might turn out to be the case yeah maybe i'm just being paranoid you know um it would be frustrating to a degree but at least like here in massachusetts we're still talking about under three dollars a gallon for for 91 octane. so right but but how much is how much is regular regular is like 230 to it 250 depends on where yeah. you are so i mean um, when i when i wrote the article i went through the the eia website that's the energy information agency uh which is part of the department of energy um and you know you, you can go to eia.gov and you can find all kinds of amazing data there including you know all of the um weekly monthly and annual average prices for all the different kinds of fuel going back to like the 19 you know, 1970s um and you know as of the week of march 5th you know the national average difference between regular and, and premium was 50, you know 52 cents a gallon yeah, and and to a lot of people, you know, fifty cents that's, a gallon is no, you know, that's, that's not a trivial amount of money. The, well, it adds up quick if it's fifty yeah. cents a gallon, and you have a twenty-gallon tank. Like that's it's extra few bucks there, and it cuts into the the cost of something else. Right. Notice how I said extra few bucks because I wasn't going to try to embarrass myself and do the math. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned right. in the middle of meetings, I'll be like, "Oh, that's twenty-seven dollars," and they'll be, like, "What are you talking about?" I have the decimal place and the wrong point. It's, it's the reason why I'm a creative not a engineer um but yeah it, it like you like you said it 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 can be real money so i mean my hope is that it works like they say it's going to work and the, the cost will actually drop i mean we'll we'll see if it happens yeah, yeah. Um, it i think i think it, i think it'll probably happen but uh we'll see it would you know maybe they could take the opportunity to sort of harmonize across every state the uh fuel requirements because massachusetts gasoline is different than ohio gasoline which is different than california gasoline yeah now that's and not going to happen they're seasonally different too like no wonder why this stuff's so damn expensive <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah like, no that that's well you know part part of that you know the seasonal differences um you know they they need to do that you know in order to make sure that you know your car's going to start you know, during a nor'easter, um, yeah, no, you know, I'm, and, I'm and at the same time to make sure that in the summertime when it's hot, you're not getting too much evaporative emissions. I, I, I like those are good reasons, but maybe we could say like north of X latitude during these months, <laughs> we could make reformulated or winter formula gas versus like, no, these states are going to be different. Like, I, well, that, I mean, that, that's actually I mean, that's essentially what they do. I mean, it's 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 not, you know, I mean, California, I think, you know, tends to be a little more California is a little more restrictive. But for the most part, it's more based on region than, than on states. 
Okay. All right. Well, it would be nice to. It. it I don't want to make the because I don't. I don't refiners. think you know. For example, I don't think the the gas that you're getting in Massachusetts is probably any different than what you would get, you know, in in Maine or New Hampshire or Vermont, you know, um, or or Connecticut. So, you know, it's it's more, you know, based on the region and what the conditions are in that region, the you know, the weather conditions. All right. So I was mostly talking out of my ass again. Uh, (laughs) But (laughs) it just seems like and I don't want to make oil companies out to be sympathetic characters, but no, uh, not not. I mean, then, you know, no one ever should. Right. Um, Finding ways to sort of be more efficient about what goes into the gas and, and take the costs out there might, might help too. But I mean, if there's, if there's an emissions trade off to it, I don't personally, I, I don't endorse that. I, I like the fact that we can breathe our air and mostly drink our water and swim in our, our ponds and rivers. And, you know, for the, for the meantime, that'll yeah. Change. I mean, don't, don't, don't worry. Uh, Scott Pruitt will yeah. take care of that problem. Yeah, clearly. Um, all right. This is just wraps up the politics section of the podcast. <laughs> um, so, but speaking of fuel, uh, I, I think we're done there. Yeah. Um, so we can move on to the 2019 Ram 1500 first drive. And that dovetails nicely because trucks use fuel. Maybe and, this and one plenty uses of it. less. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, uh, yeah like, I, think, I think less than, less than the 2018 model, but, uh, well, it was too, too early to tell exactly what that's, you know, how much less, but yeah. Lot, so go ahead. I was just, just going to say, what did, what did you learn about it? Cause to me, the Ram, it, it looks really good, but it also looks like a new nose on an old truck. And that's not what it is. No, not, it, not at all. I mean, there's, you know, pretty much everything is, is new on this thing. I mean, you know, keep in mind, you know, within, within the form factor of a pickup truck, there's only, you only have so much flexibility without giving up the things that people actually expect out of a pickup truck. You know, so, I mean, it, it's, it's inherently going to look like a pickup truck. That it said, it looks really good. It's a, yeah. it's a great looking truck. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I think, you know, I think it's probably the, the best looking of the current crop of trucks, you know, including the, the new GM trucks that don't come out till uh, later this fall. Uh, but we have, you know, they've already been revealed. I think, you know, this is probably the, the most stylish and, and upscale looking of any of the trucks uh, that we've seen that we've seen so far. And it really like it's it's not a further sort of refinement of the the crosshair grill to tractor trailer kind of look. It it, it is well, the it crosshair grill. The crosshair grills are done. No more crosshair grills on on Rams. They've they've picked the headlights up a little bit. Like it's it's got a more linear mm-hmm. front end to it. it. Just it it it's different, and it's different in a very good way. Like I mean. It's 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 more it's more in some ways it's more subdued than the Rams have been for the last 25 yeah. years. You know, the, the headlights, you know, they said the headlights are about an inch and a half taller, higher up than they were before. You know, so the, the step down from the middle part of the grill to the fender, you know, is has been shortened by an inch and a half. So it's still there, but it's it's much more subtle than before. And the crosshair grills are are done. No more crosshair grills on, on Ram trucks. Uh, that's a dodge only thing now and who knows how long that'll be you know uh, <laughs> for like the three things dodge makes yeah uh but uh, uh so 
yeah, I mean, the, the overall look and, and feel of this truck, you know, on the outside and on the inside was really impressive. Um, you know, and we got to drive, um, uh, we drove, uh, Ron Sessions and I drove uh, a Laramie. They had they had some Laramies and Limiteds out there in Arizona when we did this drive. And Ron and I took a, a crew cab uh, Laramie, which is kind of the, the mid-level of of the ram line of the ram lineup um and it's you know it's the the biggest section of their sales you know they didn't say exactly what the breakdown was but i'm guessing it's probably somewhere in the range of 40 maybe even 50 percent of of all the ram sales are you know kind of in this in this laramie trim level uh which you know you, you know on on this truck was <laughs> really impressive uh um, Almost, you know, almost everything about it was impressive. Just a couple of minor details, you know, that'll quibble with, but um, you know, and and one of those uh, inside the uh, the wood trim that was on the top of the da- the top of the dashboard, the top of the center stack, and on the on the doors, um, kind of felt, you know, kind of looked like you know what you would get on some you know laminate flooring from your big box store. Um, <laughs> You know, it was it was it was real wood, but you know it it didn't it didn't look like the highest grade of wood. Let's put it that way. Um, okay, but you know I mean that that was like probably my only real you know complaint about the the way everything the way everything looked. You know the material, all the rest of the materials inside the the layout uh, was really good. One of the one of the neat little details that they did uh, on this new one that they talked about a little bit, you know, that I hadn't noticed when we saw it in Detroit was, um, you know, it's got the, the rotary shift knob, which is becoming standard on a lot of FCA vehicles now. And it's on the dashboard to the, you know, down into the, to the left of the audio system, but they've also grouped all of the buttons for all of the, uh, powertrain related stuff there, you know, transfer case. So, you know, if you've got um, four wheel drive switch or, you know, uh, rear differential lock, uh, you know, different drive modes, all of that is grouped right together. So you don't have to go searching around in different places to find this. It's all in one grouping right there together, which, you know, I think is, you know, really nice nice detail that you know you're not going to notice until you actually need that stuff and you know you realize you don't have to search around for it it's 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 all there ready to use yeah i mean that that's important um so a couple of things like first whoo these things expensive the, the tradesman starts at thirty one thousand. well like okay 30, that that's keep keep in mind that uh right now for the 2019 models that they're building now, uh, they're only building uh, dual cabs and crew cabs, or quad is it quad cabs and, and crew okay, cabs? Okay, that's yeah, I can see so, that. So, so um, um, if you want a standard cab uh, Ram, uh, they're still building the 2018 models, and so that one, you know, that's that price is unchanged. You know, those start at like twenty seven thousand, and the uh, the the extended cab or the the dual cab quad cab. Quad, quad cab the quad cab uh, uh tradesman starts at 31.6 um which is basically the same price as the the 2018 version of the same thing so the okay. pricing actually hasn't right. really changed for that okay trucks overall then are just expensive um, yes trucks trucks are expensive and i'll get to some more of that later um you know this one you, you... this laramie we drove i think was about 42 uh, yeah, it starts yeah. at 40. The Laramie does, I think. I'm looking at the site now. So it, yeah. it's for the 4x2 starts at 40,690. So if it was a 4x4. Yep. Yeah, we we drove a 4x4. Four four. 
Uh, yeah, the four by four is it's forty four, forty four one ninety for the four by four. So I, and see, the thing that really impressed me about this thing was how quiet it was on the road. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. I mean, that's the like the the level of refinement in trucks has gone way way up. Yeah, I mean, this thing felt quieter, you know, or as at least as quiet as the Lincoln Navigator I was driving a couple of weeks ago. Huh. You know, and this, you know, this is on a pickup truck. I mean, it was solid, you know, almost no wind noise. It, it was really, really good and very smooth ride. Um, you know, the, the only the only thing we noticed, you know, uh, in terms of refinement was on a stretch of highway that had some expansion strips. There was, a, you know, a little bit of tire slap that came through. Uh, not objectionable. We mentioned it to uh, the Ram engineers and they said, yeah, we're, we're looking at that and we might change the, you know, know that particular tire setup to to uh reduce that but and this was on the the optional 20 inch wheels so other than that you know the the level of refinement was amazing and then when we got to the off-road area when we tried out a rebel uh, we did the we took the uh uh, the Ram Rebel with the optional air suspension package and you know going over this rough stuff the the body control was just amazing. I mean, it was it was almost no body motion. You know, it was just the wheels moving up and down over, you know, over this rough terrain, and very little, you know, bouncing around. You know, it's like our heads weren't bouncing off the sides, even though you know it, it was you know running through the desert in this thing, and it was, it was pretty amazing experience. That's impressive. I pickup trucks are a high profit center. They've got to make them good. Uh, it sounds like. They've made the the Rams very good. Uh, what did you think of driving the the E Torque engines? The, the three, did you drive the three three point six? No, they, the Hemi? they 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 actually did not have the E Torques there yet. Uh, so they're they're doing a staged rollout of you know the various powertrains. So for now, there's going to be three powertrain options on the Ram. You know, as they start off, starting with the regular Hemi without E Torque. Oh, I didn't know you could get it without e-torque. Yeah, the Hemi you can get without e-torque. They expect most customers, they expect most most of the non-e-torque Hemis are probably only going to be bought by fleet customers. They don't expect too many uh, regular uh, retail customers to buy it without e-torque. Um, and actually, the the pricing, the price uh, premium for the e-torque is only eight hundred bucks. Uh, and that's, that's gonna that's expected to give you a 10 percent boost in fuel economy. Uh, yeah. And and 130 pound feet of torque boost on the on the <laughs> Hemi. Is, so more, you know, for, for 800 bucks, yeah, I'd, I'd take that. I mean, you can't buy a turbo for that. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So I, they're, well, actually, you probably could, but it, yeah, anyway. Yeah, so they're 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 building the non e torque Hemi's right now, um, and those they're already shipping trucks to the dealers, and they should be going on sale in the next couple of weeks, uh, and then sometime in early April. They start building them, building the Hemi's with the e-torque, and then uh, around around the first of around the beginning of May, I think they're going to start building the V6s with the e-torque. So the V6s get standard e-torque, the V8s it's optional, but it's eight hundred bucks, and they you know project that the vast majority of customers are going to go for the e-torque uh, on those because of what you get for you know and the the value you get for that eight hundred bucks. Yeah. I mean, it, it's an impressive system when you look at the engineering. I, I was uh, uh, I looked into it a while ago when they announced it. 
I, I like that that's what they're doing now with pickups is they're, they're looking for ways to actually make them perform better and be more efficient. Um, how did you find that big 12 inch screen? That's the biggest screen I've seen on Uconnect. Is it a new version of Uconnect or is it? It's, it's an updated version of Uconnect. Um, so basically the way it works is, you know, it, it splits the screen into upper and lower cards and you know so if you plug in uh, if you plug in your phone you know for android auto or apple carplay it shows that interface in the top half of the screen and then the the lower half of the screen is basically the same as what you get on the current eight and a half inch uh you connect screen um we uh we didn't get a chance to uh try one of those on the drive itself because uh, they only had only three of the trucks had those and we didn't get a chance to grab one of those um so we drove the truck we drove most of the time had the 8.4 inch uconnect system which is basically the same as as what you know you have in most other current um fca products uh you know and it, it works fine you know it's a it's a reasonably easy to use interface it's responsive uh i i did play around for about 15 minutes with the the 12 inch one uh when we got back to the hotel um played around with it in the parking lot um it's definitely more responsive than census uh the layout is better um you know every it's i think it's better organized you know things are easier to find um because like the current uconnect system it has you know kind of this dock along the bottom of the the display you know that you know gives you you know quick access to the the various pages that are in there so you get uh things like you know you can go to uh the navigation and and the information screen the media screen things like that uh you know with one tap instead of swiping around uh so the system is definitely more responsive the um the downside to going with the 12 inch screen to taking that 12 inch display is if you get the 8.4 inch display below that 8.4 inch display, you get a bunch of physical controls for your climate control. If you go with the 12 inch display, there's no room for those. And so that's all in the touchscreen. See, I think I'd rather have the smaller display. I, I agree. Uh, I, I would, I think I would be inclined to go with the 8.4 inch system, uh, and keep the physical climate control switches. Uh, you do, even with the big screen, you do still get, uh, rotary volume and tuning knobs. Uh, they just move them out a little bit to make room for the screen. Uh, but, but you do still get those, but the climate controls switch to the, uh, to the touch, just the touch interface. Um, you know, like I said, it's, it's not a, it's not a bad interface. Uh, it's better, th better than most, but it's still a touch interface and I'd, I'd rather have rotary knobs to adjust the temperature and, and fan speed and things like that. Well, I, you know, t pickup trucks are, that's a hot segment and everybody's redesigning their trucks right now. We, we've seen a lot of new announcements, uh, over a brief period of time. So uh, as we continue our love affair with the, the pickup, uh, I think they're only going to get better and more refined. So while they're sort of this like, they're like a Swiss army knife, right? They're never exactly the right tool for the job, but they're always, you know, they'll get the job done, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Um, they can, be, they can be the tool for a lot of jobs that you can't do with any other vehicle. Let's put it that way. That's a much more charitable way to, to put it. Um, so, and you wrote this all up for Forbes. So we'll, we'll put a link in the, um, in the show notes as well so that uh, people can read your, your well thought out post instead of my rambling, um, <laughs> my rambling questions about it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, 
we're just going to continue to watch automakers beat each other's brains out with trucks. And in the end, uh, if you can swing the credit, I think the buyer benefits. <laughs> yeah. Um, so speaking of trucks. I was just going to say, let's uh, let's move on. So there's not a whole lot we can talk about with this, but where you were the other day, uh, there's a little bit. Yeah. So uh, yesterday, Ford invited a bunch of people into uh, their product development center in Dearborn and uh, gave us a bit of a preview of uh, their products that, you know, all the, the new or most of the new products they've got coming to market over the next 24 months. And, um, you know, they there was some stuff that was on the record and then there was some stuff that was off the record for the time being. And we can't talk about yet. Um, all the off the record stuff is the coolest stuff that everybody wants to know. And, and they can't tell you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, what what I what I can tell you is that, uh, you know, they uh, Jim Hackett, the uh, new CEO of Ford, uh, talked about what, uh, you know, kind of where or actually Joe Henricks, uh, who's the uh, president and president. Uh, president of global operations. So he's basically the chief operating officer at Ford now, um, you know, talked about kind of where things are, you know, with Ford and, and where they're going um, over the next couple of years. And, you know, so they're, you know, they're doing a lot of things to improve their, their margins and, you know, improve their, what they describe as their operational fitness. Uh, so they're doing things like, you know, the usual things like, you know, reducing number of buildable combinations, you know, by 75%. Um, they're reducing the number of different platforms uh, that they use. And you know, so they're calling it a shift uh, from platforms to flexible architectures. Uh, and, you know, ex I think, I think the, that terminology is more of a, a distinction without a real difference. But nonetheless, you know, what we're going to see going forward from Ford is five of these flexible architectures, uh, a front wheel drive unibody architecture, uh, which you know, will also have all wheel drive capability, a rear drive unibody. Uh, and, you know, right now, the, the only rear drive unibody vehicle that Ford makes is the Mustang. Um, but uh, we'll be seeing more of that kind of architecture uh the commercial van unibodies which is you know uh, like the transit uh the transit platform uh, big vans a body on frame which you know is going to continue to be the the architecture for uh pickup trucks and battery electric vehicles uh so that you know everything coming from ford is going to be on one of those five architectures going forward and is that a significant reduction from what they've got now they have how many architectures right now? They've yeah. So today, I mean, if you look just at cars, uh, you know, you've got the, the C, you know, the compact, the global compact architecture. Well, there's actually, there's the global subcompact architecture, which is the Fiesta and the Echo Sport. And then uh, there's also the B-Max in Europe. Um, there's the compact architecture, which is the Focus and the Escape and the C-Max. Uh, and then there's the, the CD, the midsize architecture, which is the Fusion and the MKZ and the Edge and the MKX slash Nautilus. Um, and the Mondeo overseas and, and other stuff. Uh, oh, and the Continental. Um, and then uh, you've got the uh, the old, uh, you know, we talked about Volvo earlier and Ford you're getting a lot out of Volvo during its its ownership period. And part, one of the big things was the, the old Volvo P2 platform, um, which is still around. 
uh, and it still forms the the basis of the Explorer uh, today, right. as well as it the Flex and the Taurus and, and the Taurus, uh, yeah. various other models over the years. And the uh, the, uh, the police interceptor or whatever they call it. That's the the police Taurus uh, and the police Explorer. Right. That's the D three D four. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, something like that. So those those uh, those all go back to that original Volvo S ninety platform from twenty years ago, and yeah. and that's that's finally going away in the next year or so. Well, I think part of the problem with that platform is like it can only grow and shrink so much, and and I think that that's it seems like that's why Ford has a bunch of other different platforms too currently. So they're trying to reduce that. So they've developed a lot more flexible architecture for this group of five uh, apparently right and um so you know you'll be seeing more stuff coming off this uh, rear wheel drive unibody architecture in particular which i think is is interesting um and that's all i can say about that for now um anything else i say i'd have to kill you uh let's see and then uh you know they reiterated that uh you know by the end of next year uh 100% of the cars that they that they build or 100% of the vehicles they build will be equipped with uh 4G LTE um connectivity um they're uh let's see reducing buildable combinations already for the the 2018 edge they gave as as an example um they reduced the uh um, number of buildable combinations for the for the 2018 Edge uh, refresh by 97 percent, uh, which means that you know you'll probably only have a few you know a handful of maybe a dozen configurations you can choose from uh, when you go to get an eight, uh, an 18 Edge, uh, and the Expedition uh, was reduced by 60 percent compared to the previous generation Expedition. Um, what else here that's so, uh, that's i mean that's significant because part of what happens anyway is that the dealers order them with packages and ford is actually pretty uh pretty shrewd with their rapid spec packages so that they you want that one thing you got to get the whole package yeah well the, i mean the, the reason the reason why they're able to do this is because when you actually look at you know you know here's you, you can you can look at all the different permutations of what can 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 theoretically be built and if you look at what actually gets ordered and sold, you know, you know, 98% of what gets sold, you know, is usually, you know, that 10 or 20% of, you know, you, you know, usually maybe 10% or less of the potential buildable combinations. And so what they've done is they've said, okay, for those two or 3%, you know, they're just going to have to choose, you know, from one of these, you know, one of these other variants, you know, where they they might get an option that they didn't want, or they might lose out an option. But you know, they'll it's it's going to be close enough. And you know, that's that's what a lot of other automakers, especially the the Japanese brands, do. I mean, if you go to a Honda or a Toyota dealer, you know, and you try to buy a vehicle, you know, they're typically, you know, they will have maybe three or four trim levels on a vehicle. You pick which trim level you want, which color you want, and there's almost no standalone options. You know, the, I mean, if you look at something like a Civic or an Accord, you know, if you factor in all of the different colors, you might have 30, 
maybe 35 buildable combinations, as opposed to, you know, if you go to a Ford dealer right now and you, you look at the order book for a fusion, you know, the, the number of um, buildable, com, you know, the number of different permutations you can have with all the standalone options might be in the tens of thousands. And, you know, only, you know, only a few dozen of those ever actually get sold, but they're, they're there. So, um, you know, they're, they're simplifying things in that way. And, you know, the thing is, hopefully they stick to it this time because, you know, there've been lots of times in the past when automakers, um, especially the, the domestic brands have done this sort of thing, you know, where they've reduced the number of buildable combinations. And then over time they start creeping back up again. I mean, Ford has done this before and, and GM's done this and, you know, hopefully this time they actually stick to it. Um, it, 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 it almost seems like it goes the other way sometimes too, like, uh, and maybe this is a GM thing. Like when they launch the model, there's a lot of different options and combinations. And then they start to, over the first couple of years, and by, certainly by the mid-cycle refresh, things have shrunk. So like they're either bundled or they're just no longer available. You know, they, they get rid of stuff that doesn't sell. Yeah. Um, or they, 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 do, to, they do some of that, but it's still nowhere near what you'll find, you know, at, you know, for example, for particularly Honda and Toyota. Um, they are much... They are much more disciplined about doing, you know, about sticking to their limited build combinations. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see how that that, that should hold prices down, right? I, I hope so. Um, or, 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 or at least in the automaker's case, uh, boost profits. Yeah, at least <laughs> at least keep their profits up there so that they can afford to do some of the other stuff that they need to do. Um, speaking of which, um, you know, <laughs> Jim Farley got on stage and he talked about. Um, by 2020, Ford's product mix is going to consist of 86% trucks and SUVs. That's only 14% cars. I mean, I hope that that's, that tracks what consumers are going to be buying. Well, it's definitely moving in that direction. I mean, you know, that, that this has been the trend. I mean, if you look at the sales numbers over the last three or four years, you know, um, you know when, when the current Fusion launched in 2012, um, you know, they, they were selling 300,000 a year and now they are on track to hit m probably less than 150,000 this year. And, you know, even right. though, you know, it's a, you know, five-year-old car still, you know, that kind of, the thing is that drop is that drop is applying to almost every car from almost every brand. You know, they're seeing, so they're seeing drops like that on all cars as, utilities especially go up but this is why their their platform even now their platform engineering is 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 helping them out right because the fusion is cd platform cd platform is also the edge right yep the edge and the mkz so, and the mk lincoln mkx have we seen hopefully in an ideal world automaker develops platform offers two different products and two different niches on the same platform when when one gets less interesting to consumers well okay can i interest you in an edge and it's it doesn't matter that it's the same platform it's also there and it's the right product at the right place because a lot of the things that people like in sedans they also like in crossovers and the architecture supports that uh have we seen a commensurate rise in edge sales to track that decline in 
fusion sales. Um, I'm guessing no. not 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 as not as much as Ford would like, but yeah. but fortunately for them, um, you know, they have seen a significant rise in uh, in F series sales. Which last year, uh, 2017, Ford sold 896,764 F series in the United States. I wonder how much they had to juice incentives to get that number. <laughs> well, um, for what it's worth, uh, since they introduced the aluminum body F-150 in 2014, um, their average transaction price on the F-150 has gone up by $6,700. Uh, that's, that's good. They're spending more. Yeah. And uh, they, you know, they threw out a few other statistics as well. Um, 2014 um, or 2017 uh, F series sales uh, amounted to $41 billion in revenue. That's just the F series by comparison. Uh, Coca-Cola had $35 billion in revenue last year and Nike had $34 billion in revenue. Listen, like shoes are a thing. I can understand <laughs> making 30 something billion selling shoes, $35 billion for sugar water. People, <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> and I know that's not just sugar. That's everything else that Coca-Cola makes. Yeah, too, that's all their Dasani regular water and all the right. other stuff, too. But. So Dasani is city water that they've run through charcoal filters. Enjoy yeah. your city water. <laughs> like, but, you know, 40, $41 billion uh, just in F-series. Uh, you know, and, and what's what's Ford's cash burn per year? Like uh, They have positive um, cash flow. Well, I mean, like what? Uh, oh, I love having positive cash flow. What's their What's their profit? Their profit's not for uh, the profit. The profit last year was about nine billion dollars. That's pretty good for an automaker. Because yeah, like contrary to popular belief, they they run pretty tight margins. So nine billion's not that's not too bad to put in the bank. Yeah, well, and that's cars. you know one of the reasons why you know Ford's been making all these changes is because their margins of you know their operating margin has only been about six six and a half percent. And, you know, they were a couple of years ago, they were targeting 8%. And they claim now, you know, um, uh, Jim Hackett was talking and he said, he, you know, he, he was saying that they're, uh, uh, they're on target to actually, they're, they're on a pace to actually beat their 8% target this year. So we'll see if they can actually do that. But, um, you know, that's, you know, still, you know, that's, that's, you know, for a full line automaker, um, you know, having that kind of profit margin is pretty good. Usually, you know, the, you know, one of the few companies that actually does, you know, significantly higher profit than that is Porsche. You know, they, I think their operating margins are around 18%. Uh, but, you know, few, you know, few, if any full line automakers uh, get into double digits on their, their uh, profit margins. Yeah. And it's usually the, the premium ones. Yeah. So. Uh, so what, what else we got here? Um, so there's, uh, there's a new escape coming, um, and a new expedition coming, which we will probably be seeing, uh, we'll probably see at least one of those before the end of this year. Um, uh, maybe both of those before the end of this year. And what's one thing, one of the interesting things that they threw out there, um, you know, the, the current generation Explorer, um, debuted in in uh, 2010 as a 2011 model so it's almost eight years old now and even though it's been on the market for eight years um it has actually increased sales every year since it came out and last year was its was its best year uh of the current generation and you know one of the best years ever they hit almost 250,000 units last year with explorer that's uh 
Wait, how many explorers? Almost 250,000 last year. That's a lot of old Volvos. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, and that's that's not including the, the police version or is including the police version? Um, you know, I'll have to double check. I'm not sure. But I think when they say Explorer, I don't think that that includes the police version uh, because technically, you know, in Ford's nomenclature, that's actually a separate nameplate. That's not actually an Explorer, even though it is an Explorer. You know, they list they actually they they break out the sales of that as the police interceptor utility. So they don't they don't even label that as an explorer, even though it is an explorer. Huh. Uh, so what what else? Oh, um, you know, some of the other things that they talked about is, you know, by 2020 going forward, all of their new SUVs and crossovers are going to be available um, with hybrid powertrains. And either hybrid and or plug-in hybrid powertrains on every sport utility and on most of their trucks uh, going forward. And so, you know, including the, the Explorer and the Escape that are, that are coming soon, both of those are going to have hybrid versions, as, as is the, uh, the new Bronco, uh, which they dropped a teaser of, uh, as well as another, uh, another new um, off-road utility uh which is don't get don't get yourself in trouble no well i'm i'm you know i'm looking at the at the materials i'm looking at the the slides of the the on the record stuff you know and they you know so they dropped a they they showed a uh, a teaser you know showing the bronco with a, a cover on it you know so you can see the basic profile of it and uh you know if if you like the old original first generation bronco of the of the early 70s yeah i think you'll like this one okay uh, I, th I think it's gonna be cool yeah. uh you know another sort of uh vehicle to to compete with the jeep wranglers not a bad thing yeah yeah i mean they're really right now they're i don't know that there really is anything that's really a direct competitor to the wrangler today no i don't think that you know i, I saw my first uh was a jl uh wrangler um i think it was yesterday morning uh man that thing looks good they did a nice job on that yeah yeah it's it's um, it's, it's a nice update uh, i'm looking forward to driving one soon well yes and... me as well um it's the perfect time of year, Jeep, to send one to me because we're having nor'easters again. <laughs> global warming, the Chinese conspiracy is is happening. Uh, no, yeah. there's no. So, anyway. Haven't you heard? There's no such thing as global warming. Right. It's not true. Um, it's all a hoax. Listen, weather is not climate. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, whatever. We're we're delving into that part of the podcast again. Uh, okay. So anyway. I think, you know, Ford has a lot more to come when you can talk about the other stuff you saw, uh, which is indubitably uh, very much interesting and impressive and cool. Uh, Ford has some stuff up its sleeve, so so that'll be good to see. Uh, so we'll just tease that now, and when you can talk about it again, you will. Yep. Um, well, and I mean, one, one other thing I can say right now is uh, they will be unveiling the new Aviator um, week after next oh, New at the New York Auto Show. So yeah. the Lincoln Lincoln Aviator, uh, the Aviator's back, uh, you know, as a um, explorer sized uh, SUV, um, and that's that's coming back. And I so think, I think people will be surprised at some things about that. They better try to sell it because they have the <laughs> Continental, which it's a it's a good car. Yeah, I, they're they're not they're not telling us about it. Like what I, the hell, guys? I, 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 I know. Maybe that's. I just, I just like, 
Lincoln has been on the ropes for so long. They have to actually invest in in getting their story out there, and I don't I don't think they are. Um, you need yeah, you need to put together a, a continental commercial, and I'll send it to uh, Kumar Galhatra. You know what? I will do that. I will do that. Do it, I, man. I I should call up and get a, a continental <laughs> so <laughs> I can make we've got a commercial. Ford's pretty tight with their fleet lately. Um, yeah. So we'll do that. In the meantime, though, um, before we close out the show, I had a chance to talk to a uh, former Autoblog podcast alum. I know you and Zach Bowman didn't directly work uh, together. I think he actually filled your slot when uh, you left Autoblog. Uh, and so he was on the podcast with us after. Um, but people were asking what he's up to. Uh, Zach and I finally had a chance to connect. So we, we caught up a little bit and I would like to have him back on, on the show so he can do an episode with us uh, when when we can make that happen. Um, and we have a couple of other people who are also interested still. Um, <clears throat> Alex Nunez keeps blowing us off. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, he's a very busy man. Uh, <laughs> hey, we'll, he's we'll a VP at Ketchum well. these days. No, I, I know he's, he's legit busy and it's hard to schedule and it's, it's just, things are, things are tough. Um, and, uh, yeah, so Zach and I caught up and we talked about, uh, some, some philosophical car discussions. So I'll just cut that in here and, uh, then we'll come back and, and wrap up the show. All right. So Zach, great, like great. people Please. have been asking about where, where you've been because it's like you, you, you dropped off the face of the earth. Kind of drop off the face of the earth. I um, so yeah. So after the uh, after the trip, obviously we're we're trying to I'm trying to figure out what that um, sort of work life balance thing looks like, um, and and part of that is limiting the amount of time that I spend on the road, and um, that means taking fewer stories or being more careful about the stories that I I do choose. And uh, that inevitably leads to uh, lower exposure. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and part of that, though, is like you've been on kind of like a, a Twitter diet, and I, I don't Facebook, so I don't know if you're you're there or something. But you, you know, uh, I, I don't know where to find the stuff that you're you're working on. Where where can someone read your stuff lately? Well, I uh, I've been doing a lot of work with automobile lately. They've been kind enough to give me a home. Um, so there's usually something once a month or so from, from those guys. And I've also been doing a lot of bike work. So, um, stuff with motorcycle, motorcyclists and cycle world, um, you know, stuff that I just find a little bit more personally satisfying to be working on. Well, you don't like flying Um, to like, you know, different parts of the world every two weeks and trying to jam out stories that are uh, the same as the press release over and over again. Well, I know I know that sounds incredibly entitled. Um, no, you know, I, no, it's not. It's it's not entitled. No, no, it it, it is it, it is it is. I I am fully aware of that, and I know that um, it's. Can we can we curse on this? I can't remember. I can never remember. It's unfortunate. I'm, I'm going to say shitty. Shitty to. Um, turn your nose up at um, experiences that a younger you would have, you know, been over the moon to do. Um, And I've always said that if I find myself in that situation where I'm so jaded that I, you know, don't look forward to go driving a Lamborghini 
or whatever, then I, I probably don't need to be doing it, right? There, there are other people who are, are better suited to be doing that stuff. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, a, that's, that's a, the way a things are going. That's a mature and a refined way to look at it. And, it's a, it, it, you know, the, the younger you part of it is, is key, though, like – because you're not you're not the same person forever, so you you wind up doing these things, and and uh, the industry looks a little different from the inside than it does outside looking in, and and builds up your your base of experience. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to get you to say uh, that you don't want to do things for money because that's what we all want to do is things for money. <laughs> well, um, sure, you know, it, 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 yeah, it, 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 I don't know, man. The uh, the run up to the trip was. Um, you know, I very much burn out at, at road and track. The, the travel was a lot, um, and uh, the stories I was writing wasn't necessary. They weren't necessarily the most fulfilling. Um, and I'm not saying that every job should be fulfilling, but in, a, in an industry where it's it's very much creative, um, you know, it's easy to just sort of hit a point where you're just phoning everything in. And I saw that coming, and I didn't want that to happen. Because um, I've loved cars, I've, I've always loved cars from the time I was a kid on, and um, it's really disheartening to see something that you have such a passion for become relatively gray in your eyes, you know. So yeah, well, and I think too, uh, in a in a business or a career track that is based on you know, like you're only as good as as your portfolio. Um, that's that's your calling card. That's your resume. If you're not doing your best work, it's hard to build that portfolio, um, and it's also hard to stand behind it. So, yeah, I mean that's some of the sure. stuff. I think we all kind of struggle with that if we we do it long enough, and that that sometimes leads to some of the moves. Um, sometimes the moves are uh, are are forced um, through layoffs sure. or just other other corporate things uh and you know i think that's one of the things that led me to actually step away from from autoblog was like the same thing is like just looking at it and going you know what they're moving in a different direction i i'm sort of weighing them down they've been good about sort of sticking with me but i can see that they want to be doing something different than i want it to be so let's let's just call it a day yeah. and, and back off from that and and so um you know, the, the trip, I think, was sort of a, a couple things for you, right? Like, it was it was a series of events that led up to it, and then it was its own thing, and and now you're on the other side of that. So you sold the, the truck, and w- what's the no, rest no, of it? No, no, no. I, I, I sold the camper. Oh, the you truck kept the truck. Have. All right. Um, yeah, so the, the, the truck's got uh, 340, like, right at 340,000 miles on it now. That's that's like a member and of the family. That's, of, that's never going to leave the family. Is it? like it's like the trusty companion. It's the dog that, that uh, <laughs> just won't die. Well, it's it's hard, right? Because it's it's still such a good tool, you know. Um, I, you know, do I necessarily have a one hundred percent need for a three quarter ton flatbed pickup truck in my life? No, I'm not a farmer, um, but you know, I I still do quite a bit of uh, remodel work for friends and family. Uh, so moving material around, it's very handy. Uh, you know, between my father and I, we're always dragging crappy cars around, um, and it is exceptionally good at that. <laughs> um, 
you know, it's it's just a good thing. I I have found myself sort of paying the piper in terms of all of the sort of delayed long-term maintenance that we didn't keep up with while we were on the trip. Um, it actually just got out of the shop for tires and inner axle seals up front, which was like two grand. Uh, I lost a U-joint on the left side on the interstate like a month ago. That was fun. That was like 500 bucks. Uh, last October, I had the clutch fail, which it was, it was not the original clutch, it was the original clutch to me, and it lasted the entire trip. And then I got pissed at somebody in traffic and darted around him and the thing threw a spring. Oh, no. <laughs> so... Clutch, clutch and flywheel is like 800 bucks, uh, and then the pilot bearing had failed at some point, so yep. the input shaft was just like wallowing around in there, so destroyed the input shaft, um, and because it's the MV5600 and not the 4500, in order to replace the input shaft, like the 4500 you can just take four bolts out and then pull the entire input shaft out and throw a new one in there. Well, the 5600, the entire gear set has to come out of the back of the transmission, right? <sighs> one of the unfortunate things about the death of the trans, the manual transmission is that no one works on a manual transmission anymore. So of the 11 transmission shops that I called within a two-hour drive, uh, one guy said he could do it, and it would take three weeks. Three weeks? Like, so, it's not that hard. Like, I mean, it's, it's hard, right. but it's like... If you know manual transmissions, it's right. like, take this piece out, put... Yeah, right. That's, that's really frustrating. But guy was backed up, right? So I found a local guy who said he could do it. Uh, long story short, he could not do it. He destroyed the transmission. So my otherwise okay transmission wound up being scrap. I had to get a reman for $4,500. Yeah. So, you know, uh, just one thing after the other. Uh, and it's not the truck's fault. Like, all of these things, it's a big mile machine, and we thoroughly abused it over that year. You know, we had, um, I think the truck weighed in at, like, 11,800 pounds uh, with all of our crap and, the, and, you know, fuel and water and all that fun stuff on board. So it was uh, it was definitely working last year, and it wasn't like we just spent all that time on the highway. We um, were often <laughs> often rough and tumble places. So, but it's uh, it's still around. We uh, uh, we we had a little CRV for a while that I fucking hated, um, <laughs> and uh, we <laughs> got rid of that. Uh, it was a terrible car, and I, I bought it. I bought it because I have I have two friends who also have them, who I will not name. You know who you are, um, and they convinced me that it was the right move for a family car. Right? It was a manual transmission, so second generation manual right, transmission. Right. That's. I mean, that's not terrible. Like ah, right. See, this is the logic. Right? You're, you're going. Okay, it's got a K24. Right, which is a good little motor. Right, it's got a manual transmission, which is a, an okay little transmission. It's all-wheel drive, quote unquote, so it should be okay in the snow. Uh, should get pretty good fuel economy. Um, none of these things are true. Uh, <laughs> it, it got 17 miles to the gallon, Dan. 17. Are, How is that possible? Is part of the problem How? you? 
<laughs> no, no. I mean, it, that's just what it gets. Like the best that I got out of that thing was twenty-one miles to the gallon. I could, I could see twenty-one. It's like because it's, it's like terrible. It's heavy and and I, you know, I, I don't know. I, and I it, it, it makes no power, none. Like, like, it, oh my god, it was just, it was absolutely terrible. Um, it's a five-speed, right? This this was like right at that breakover point in Honda where we, we went from like good Honda to what happened to you Honda. Um, so like it's the same gearbox that's in the Civic Si and the TSX. They just didn't put sixth gear in there. So like there's a place for sixth gear, and there's are there are guys who will take their transmission apart and put sixth gear in there for a whopping four hundred dollars using brand new Honda parts. But the car didn't come with six gear. Maybe you should have yeah. had one of those guys fix your truck transmission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not kidding. Not kidding. Uh, anyway, so we, we got rid of that thing and we bought uh, we bought an E46 wagon. That is uh, a terrible um, idea. That is a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. Uh, E39, sure. excuse me. Oh, that's e39. an even worse uh, idea. <laughs> no, it's a great. It's a great idea. It's a great idea, buddy. I'm sure it's lovely to drive, but oh, it's Holy it's, shit. it's sublime. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 actually good. Uh, um, that was right first. It was an E46. Sorry, I'm I'm still recovering from bronchitis, so you'll you'll have to excuse me. That's fine. No, the E46 uh, that is that like, was great. Yeah. It, 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 it's 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 everything. It's everything that the CRV is not. Right. So. It's it's entertaining to drive. It it looks good. It's so easy to work on, Dan. So easy. Well, because and you all have the to. Problems are are no. Nah, yes and no. I mean, it, it's it's the last of the good BMWs. I that's, know. That's true. That's it's true. no it's no Crown Vic, but it's, it's, it's you, made to be worked on. The, the Crown Vic is it's, not easy to work on. They stuff that giant engine in that engine bay. You can't get your hands on <laughs> I do, And there's like sharp metal and it cuts your hands up and shit. Yeah. I do not like that car. Um, yeah. It, it, and it, I don't think it really likes it tolerates me. Um, but the, uh, no, the E46, like that's, that's the thing, right? The, the European cars and, and BMWs in particular, they are – they have stuff that breaks, but they know it's going to break. Mm-hmm. And so they design it to like, hey, we're going to like in, in 120,000 miles, like this whole Ganectica zoink here, it's going to blow up and fall off. But you can replace it and we'll sell you the assembly and here are the steps to fix it. And and it, it, it makes logical sense. And I always found them easy to work on if sometimes a pain in the ass. Yeah, no, I, you know, so far, I, I mean, I guess we put like 6,000 miles on it so far, but um, so far it's been, a, it's been an excellent little car, blue on black, sport package, I, you know, You probably have had to look a long time for that, too, like that's not an easy car to find, an E46 Touring. No, it's, uh, you know, they're out there and they're getting cheap, like we bought, we picked this one up for 4,000 bucks, and it had 100, 100,000 miles on it. That's low. So, That's low for that car. Yeah, it's it's not it's not bad. Um, and they're out there. It's not a manual. It's an automatic. Uh, the conversion to manual is not difficult. So the idea is that once we have a garage again, I'll keep an eye out for a 330 donor and 330 <laughs> MT it. 
So that's the idea. Um, what else? Got the uh, got the seventy seven two thirty Mercedes still. Um, that I drove across the country. I paid four hundred seventy five bucks for. Oh, that's right. Seattle. That's right. Um, um, what about Project Ugly Horse? Jesus fuck. Yeah, still got it. Still got it. Um, I just bought my fourth oil pan. Um, <laughs> Man, man. All right. So here's the thing, right? So in the five years that I have been screwing with this stupid car, Ford has since come out with its own version. And at some point this dawned on me and I thought, well, shit, I'll just uh, start ordering Mustang 2.3 parts and bolt them to my two liter and we'll be gravy train and get this thing done and going. Um, so I look up parts and primarily what I'm looking for is a windage tray or, or some sort of oil baffle to keep the, keep the oil in place under cornering so that the pump doesn't cavitate and I don't, you know, block up the motor. That would be bad. Yeah. So I find the parts on the Ford parts uh, page and it includes the whole assembly. It includes the pan, the baffles, the whole nine yards, and it's like 90 bucks. Cool. Send it my way. I get it, and there are no baffles inside of it. None. Not a one. And I call up the dealer that I procured it from, and they say, well, no, it shows right here that all of those parts are included. And I say, well, they aren't. And then that was the last I heard of it. <laughs> Excellent. So I think that's <laughs> yeah, perfect, yes. It's the second time this has happened, ordering parts off of uh, Ford's, Ford's site. So I don't, know, I don't know what's going on there. But, um, you know, it's... It's hanging out in my dad's basement, um, which is like 30 minutes away, and it's just far enough away to be a pain in the tail. And, uh, you know, got a million other things going on. I don't know. I am still desperately trying to finish it. I probably should have sold it when we left Knoxville. Um, but I didn't, so there you go. Uh, you know, there is um, there's sentimental value in it. And uh, I don't think it's that anymore. I, I honestly don't think it's that anymore. Like I, I don't feel a whole lot for the car. I would honestly rather put a twin cam in the in the 230 and uh, a manual transmission in the 230 and maybe a small lift and just drive around on that. But I, I don't know, man. Uh, five years is a long time to be screwed with anything, you know. Yeah, I got to about three yeah. on the Volvo and I was like, you know what? Forget it. <laughs> It's done. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I have recognized my own limitations, and uh, just, yeah, it, it's not the car; it's me, and I'm never gonna fix it. And it's just yeah. sinking into the earth. So, off it goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. Uh, yeah, the Mustang is not far from being done. It just, um, you know, is is not done. So there you go. Uh, so you know, that's yeah. that's a good kind of. Uh, segue to you know when we were at autoblog you or, or like when when we last talked i was still with autoblog and, and uh you guys were in the midst of your trip and so there was a lot of like self-discovery so like in the aftermath you know for like mm-hmm. what did you learn about yourself by by doing that thing i'm sure because people were like oh it's it's nuts and you were like you know what i just have to do it and and that's you know mm-hmm. you can't respect that that's fine um but you know, what did that? What did you come on the other side of that to sort of like to realizations? What did we come on the other side of that? Um, 
you know, we, I think we came out with a greater appreciation for the people in our lives. And I know that sounds, um, not contrite, but I obvious maybe, but, um, you know, more than anything, the trip allowed us the chance to go and see the people that we, you know, always said, Hey, we're, we're going to, we're going to come visit you at some point and never did over the, you know, eight or nine years that Beth and I had been married at that point. Um, and there's something really excellent about, um, being able to drop into people's lives and see their world and see what they love about the places that they live. Um, and I think in the U S specifically, we're so territorial about our vacation time that when it comes time for vacation, we want something, uh, sort of predetermined or prescribed. You know, we, I, how many people do you know that, that go to the exact same place for vacation every year? You know, whether it's the same beach house or we do the that. same cabin in the woods. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And, and, and for good reason, right? Because you, you don't want, you get, you get so little time, you get 10 days or 20 days or whatever that you don't want to waste it and, or you don't want to feel like you wasted it. Right. Yeah. And when well, you, it, when you do something new, it's a gamble, right? It, it could wind up terrible. It could wind up that you blow your only five days of free vacation that isn't soaked up by holidays in some sort of travel nightmare or staying in some sort of terrible guest room or something. And nobody wants to do that. But, uh, you know, the, the chance to go and, and be with people, it was always better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a huge extrovert, obviously. Um, and I, I like a certain amount of routine and stableness, um, but being open to those experiences and being with those people, it was, it was awesome. And I, I don't know, it gave us a, a, a better appreciation for that. And I think since then we've been more determined to make that a part of our lives. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, it's clearly, I think it made you and, and, and Beth and sort of a, a tighter unit, or at least it would have sounded like the last time. Um, for sure. Sure. You know, you face down stark terror together. Uh, <laughs> a certain, certain amount of bonding. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, do you now like? Do you find yourself in in certain situations like recalling stuff that happened, uh, and, and using that experience as a guide for like how to behave in in this situation and, and what to do, or, or just even just like you know what. Uh, just a way to drive more more patience or less patience or, or whatever just like uh, how is that sort of continuing to pay off not so much in the more or less patience i you know <laughs> you don't say <laughs> <laughs> yeah i uh i don't have a a great memory you know i think that's um sort of, of a byproduct of, of past nonsense um but there was something about the way in which we lived last year or the year before last rather that um, was very vivid, you know, and there are certain things, whether it's a, a temperature or a, a shift in lights of the leaves or a smell or something that will light off these memories of being places uh, from that time in my head. And, um, 
it also makes it really difficult to tolerate um, the unfortunate routine of life, you know? Mowing the grass is particularly rough, right? Where you are uh, just sort of pacing around the same, you know, half acre of ground over and over and over again when you know that there's such a large and vast continent out there uh, waiting for you. Um, I don't know. It's, um, you know, I think I expected or I hoped that we would come out of that thing having uh, gained some sort of perspective that, that um, was difficult to acquire otherwise and um, it's not the case you know I, it's it's having another piece of the puzzle but it's not having the whole thing put together and um, it's almost more frustrating now than it was before we left you know um, I don't know I mean I think the biggest thing like I said before was balance you know and, and trying to figure out where that line is between living your days and working your days, you know, and I, I, I very much acknowledge that I'm working less now and I'm making substantially less now, but my time is very much my own, you know? So if, um, a buddy calls up and says, Hey man, I, I want to, I want to go, uh, buy a motorcycle or I want to, go work on this bike or dad calls and says, Hey, I need a hand with this. I'm much more likely to tell work to, to fuck off and, and go be there. Yeah. Um, yeah I don't know. And I, I, you get to that, you get to that point. Um, you know, and some of it is just being uh, like a comfort level. I feel like you spend your, uh, your twenties and thirties and you're like your early career, um, almost scared a little bit. Like what if they discover, I, I am not as good as I told them. I, because you go through that crisis of confidence on a, on a you know, regular oh, sure. basis. Um, but also just like, what if I don't act like it's a prison? You know, like, no, these, these people, like they're, they're my employer. They own me. And at, at a certain point you go now, no, 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 no. Like if there's a problem, we'll talk about it, but I'm going to go do this like family or, or right. life or whatever is much more important. And, and you, you go and you make right. the time for that. Uh, that takes a while to get to. It really does, and it's um, and it's also because it's not something that's taught to us. You know, um, it's there, but it's it's hidden in the in the subcontext. It's not it's not overt. You know, um, and I think you know that that might also be a shift in in employment that's happening now with our generation. Because before, I think you were expected to give your employer as much as you could with the understanding that your employer would take care of you, um, certainly now, but, but also in the future going forward. And that's not, that's not the case anymore. You know, um, it's increasingly rare to, to find someone our age who has a, an employer-employee relationship where all of their benefits are taken care of to a satisfactory level and they have a retirement and a pension that's um, that's set up to take care of them in the future, you know? Um, and I certainly don't see any reason to give an employer all of my time or certainly prioritize my time for them over, over that of my friends and family, 
if that's not the case, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a it's a weird kind of balance. I think that it just only comes with, with putting your, putting your dues in. And there's, it's, it kind of makes me boil a little bit when you see all the, the, even the flippant discussion of like, oh, these young kids are coming up they're you know, they, they want this stuff. They, they want, uh, perks and they, they want, uh, you know, this quality of life. And it's like, well, who doesn't like, (laughs) I'm not a millennial, but I understand where they're coming from and and look at what we've done to these kids. Like, well, they're killing X or Y. No, they can't afford to do it because their grandparents have screwed them out of stuff. So it's it's just, yeah, no, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's challenging. And I, you know, everybody's got their, their issues, but I, and I certainly don't want to wade off into the weeds here, but I no. <laughs> the, the number the, the number of uh, the number of guys our age who make a pretty decent living and still feel like they're you know barely pulling the ends together. It's it's not a small number, man. It's it's most of the people I know. Uh, you know? Yeah, I mean, um, I'd certainly count myself among among that too. I mean, some some of it is just you, the shit you do to yourself. Sure, uh, absolutely, absolutely, but it, it's. It's a level of stability that's that's that seems or instability that seems foreign, you know, um, especially when you talk to the older generations. Oh yeah, but, yeah uh, for sure. But the tr- but the, tr- the trade off there is is time, right? And um, if you can prioritize your time in a way to be be there with your friends and your family, then fine, you know that that's an that's an acceptable price to pay as far as I'm concerned. So. Sorry, right, let's shift gears. Um, you, so you're back in Virginia, uh, but it also sounded like you fell in love with the desert Southwest. And um, why? Like, is it the lonesome desolation? Like the idea that you know what? If if I just want to disappear, I can do that real efficiently here. <laughs> yeah, it's part of that. It's also um, such a foreign beauty, you know, uh, especially coming from the East Coast, where there are so many people. You know, and even even places where there aren't that many people, like where I live now, like I, this is a a county that's 300 square miles that might have 30,000 people in it, maybe. Um, but that's still a lot by by Western standards, and, and you really feel it when you when you drive across the country, right? There's something that happens coming from west to east, right around Missouri, where where suddenly you, you look up and there are infinitely more people on the road than there were before. Um, being able to, to get out and away from people and not just like a little bit, but you know, to where you will not see somebody for two or three days, that's exceedingly rare um, in this country probably even this world, um, at least the civilized Western world, you know, it's something that, that people in Europe just don't have. It's not a thing for them, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, it's incredibly valuable and I, I can't explain it. It's, it's, uh, a level of peace and togetherness, like, like put togetherness that, um, is very difficult for me to replicate. Um, it's just great and it's the desert is beautiful i the smells and uh the weather and the animals um it's a landscape that that also requires 
a lot more attention, you know. Um, it's easy to sort of paint the landscape with this sort of sameness where you look out and you just see beiges and browns and reds and it just looks like desert. But with your boots on the ground and at eye level, everything has a flower, especially in the springtime, you know, and they're all different and they're all unique and they're all just gorgeous. And they're all pretty. So, <laughs> yeah, some of them are, you know. Uh, but that also makes it fun, you know. It's, uh, and I, I like being somewhere where I'm, where I'm out of my comfort zone. You know, I, having grown up in Appalachia, I more or less know what in these mountains wants me dead. Uh, you know, I, I don't know out there, so you just have to sort of treat everything with a little bit more care and a little bit more wonder than you would otherwise. Yeah, so, it sounds like the yeah. landscape equivalent of riding a motorcycle. You just have to be on guard. Yeah, that's very true. That's very, very similar. So, I don't know. I, um, you know, I think if uh, Lucy wasn't part of the, my, our daughter wasn't part of the equation, we would have given more serious thought to settling somewhere out there. But kids need kids need infrastructure with uh, schools and, and family and all that stuff. So there's time. Here we are. There's, there's time. It it goes it goes fast. Uh, yeah. So, all right. On on that on that note, I think we've covered a lot of a lot of my my little notes. But um, are you driving anything fun besides the E46? Anything? We'll start with anything fun. Uh, okay. I just got back from um, Lake Sakakomi, which is about two hours north of Montreal, where I drove a handful of Lamborghinis on a frozen lake. That doesn't sound um, like it sucks. <laughs> it did not. Um, Lamborghini has this um, uh, program called the Squadra Corse, which is uh, basically an experienced driving program, right? It starts off with like uh, uh, like a basic track day and like familiarizing people with how to go fast on a track, and then steps up to car control stuff like this Winter Academy, which is what this was, where they teach you you know the the finer aspects of car control in a low grip, low speed uh, environment. And if you have the money as a Lamborghini owner and you want to pursue it, that that track will run you all the way to uh, the Super Trofeo series and then eventually all the way up to the company's GT3 program. Um, so it's, it's, it's basically like a, a big funnel, a big feeder series uh, for guys. It was wild. We drove, uh, drove Huracans, Huracan Performantes, and Aventadors. Uh, out on the ice, um, the Hurricanes all had uh, studded Pirelli winter tires on them. The uh, Aventadors were a little more hilarious. They had um, studded summer tires in the rear and just winter tires up front. And uh, <laughs> you want to talk about a loop machine, buddy? <laughs> you, yeah, uh, I bet you you breathe on that throttle and it wants to come around. But it was it was great. It uh, you know they sort of turn you loose on like a like a 1.5 kilometer. Uh, track through the through the ice and uh, of course you've got instructors there that are all pro drivers some of the guys were from NASCAR some of the uh, guys and girls some of the, some of the girls were, were um, um, sports car drivers uh, all very talented all all great at sort of sort of coaxing you through the thing it was, it was a lot of fun it was a real blast did you go so, like oh, no 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 I got this I, I powerful car on loose surface I just hold my beer 
<laughs> I, I will say there, there was a certain a certain familiarity to, to high school uh, high school parking lots there, but uh, that was fun. It was it was really good, and uh, the cars are, are are freakishly adept at it. You know the the all wheel drive systems in those cars they're they're set up to under the majority of circumstances put ninety percent of the power to the rear axle. Uh, which means that under first and initial hard application of throttle, it behaves just like a rear-wheel drive car, right? Just instant kick sideways. And then once you're sideways, you can ease into the throttle, and it will push up to 50% of the power in the front axle. So you get in trouble, you ease into the throttle, and the car just sort of claws its way, you know, in the direction that you want to head. And it's very impressive. It was, it was fun. It was a, it was a blast. So, so yeah. that's that's the fun side. Now, what have you been driving that's not fun besides like broken trucks and stuff? That's pretty much it, man. I'm I'm, I'm fully off of a rotation now, so um, you know it's 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 few and far between, which is which is kind of nice. There's a a certain level of perspective that that comes through there, you know. Um, I think it's easy easy for guys who run a rotation to just sort of see a. a Thirty-five thousand or forty thousand dollars sticker on a Camry or whatever, and just sort of shake it off. But um, when you're not in that all the time, like that's a shit ton of money. And I, I don't know, I certainly don't know a lot of guys who who would be willing to turn around and drop that kind of cash on a brand new brand new car. You know? Yeah, I think I, like so, so. Sam and I just did the podcast yesterday, and I was talking about the the TSX um, A spec. Which I really liked, and mm-hmm. one of the comments was <laughs> that I made was like, "Well, it's kind of cheap. It's like forty-five thousand dollars," and I like, "That's not cheap. It's just f- for what it is. It's, it's you know, it's it's priced against cars that are you know much much more expensive." So, uh, yeah, that's that's yeah. true. Like actually, still being on a rotation, it does it does mess with your perspective. Um, you know, like it's easy to definitely definitely what I think it just desensitizes. It just desensitizes you, right? Like you just, you just, it's not that you stop seeing it. It's just that when you're, when you're in those cars that often and you just see those stickers and you're like, well, you know, the last one was 75. So eh. like it, it does happen. It happens quick, you know? Yeah. I think I if you, if you let it, it certainly does. Um, yeah. And I've, I've noticed that like, Certainly, that like that's one of the things that is actually kind of a, a turnoff of the the automotive journalism industry is like all these regular dudes who aren't making big dollars are driving big dollar stuff, and you you do get yeah. out of touch with it. And uh, if you flip it around though, and, and understand, you know, okay, so this is a benchmark of what fifty thousand dollars buys, and compare that among mm. other things that are roughly the same price, you can you can start to continue to make sense of it the best thing to do is um go and and price one out like on the website or just just work the math right like look at common auto loan terms right and try to put it in that way okay so you go either i'm putting no money down i'm rolling the down payment into the into the loan or i'm just like we're financing everything or you know it's going to cost me five thousand dollars off the top and i'm financing forty thousand dollars over you know typical terms or what 60 months 72 months which times, is insane. Yeah, right? times the interest like, like, rate. What is that car worth after seventy-two months? <laughs> you got to buy well, it's, it's, uh, for sure. Um, but when you think about that, you know, you add in the interest rate and, and calculate just the, just the raw cost, not even getting into stuff like insurance. Uh, and you go, wow, it's going to cost me X amount every month. 
it's really easy to drop $400 a month on a car. And it's and, and like a, a pretty average car, a car that most people would sniff at, <laughs> like yep. a Camry or an Accord, <laughs> you know, nothing, yeah. nothing fancy. That's, that's, right. That's big money, man. That's big money. That's, I, uh, I mean, in a lot of places, know. that's and, what, and like half Virginia, a mortgage? Yeah, exactly. And, and here in Virginia, you know, we've got personal property tax. So the Dodge... The Dodge being uh, a 2003 with 340,000 miles on it last year, the personal property tax on that truck was $260, and we get 50% tax relief. So it was really like, what, $520 or something? Um, yeah, for a, for a 15-year-old truck with over 300,000 miles on it. So you can imagine what these guys are paying on a truck that's $70,000. Yeah. Yeah, it, that's it's, uh, it's it's insane. I I don't know how I don't know how people are doing it. I honestly don't. Um, cheap credit, I guess. I yeah, I think I that's know. probably part of it, or or leasing, which is just sort of another arm of cheap credit. I it's uh, yeah. it does mess with your perspective though, for sure. To be in lots of uh, brand new stuff um, all the time, and, and and you get you get kind of numb unless you're you're actually, you know, experienced in, in, in paying this stuff. You know, some of the people that we came up with too, like they're still like they're renters. They're, <laughs> they're not, you know, right. they're, they don't have families. Some, some, some do, but it's like, it's a, it puts you in a different place where you're like, yeah, cars are important, but they're not like, I, like, I need, I need to fix they're my house. Important. <laughs> like, right. exactly. Uh, it's, it's pretty easy yeah. to drop, you know, option package money on a roof, for example. Uh, and things like oh, that. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting industry though, for sure. Um, you know, it sounds like you're 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 in a, a settled place. You're 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 much more uh, calm and at ease than the the angry young Zach we know from the podcast of yore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just didn't get on the right subjects, I guess. No, I uh, I don't know. It's uh, man, nothing. It's funny you use the word settled. Nothing feels settled. I um. You know, we've been here for a year. Uh, we still don't know if if Virginia is going to be where we wind up permanently. Um, you know, work is work is come and go, and uh, I don't know. I mean, that 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 year on the road had a big price, and I think we're still still paying it, and um, it still seems worth it at this point. But um, I don't know. Ask me again in a year. Well, you know what? Like, it's not like you can undo it. So, you, you no, know, exactly. Kind of live with the aftermath. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's exactly right. And um, yeah, like I said, it still still very much seems worth it to me. So there you go. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll we'll find the if you if you're game, we'll have you back on. Uh, maybe uh, me, you, and Sam. We can all bitch about uh, other car stuff, and we'll we'll get you cranked up. <laughs> It sounds good. That sounds like a deal. All right. I'll let yeah. you get to your afternoon and your, your little people and uh, everything. But uh, thanks for, for taking the time to update because your fan base does uh, eagerly hang on all of your words. Ah, I find that hard to believe, but I appreciate it. I appreciate <laughs> it, man. <laughs> all right. Thank you, yeah. sir. Yeah, man. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. All right. And that's the end of podcast 61 for uh or episode 61 for uh for wheel bearings 
And so, uh, yeah, don't forget to you know tell all your friends about it if you like the show and uh, leave us a rating on iTunes or or somewhere and uh, you know just uh, you know let us know if you have any thoughts or questions. Uh, you can drop us a note on Twitter or use the uh, the email link on the website at wheelbearings.media, and we'll try and answer your questions. Uh, we'll do our best. If not, let's just say some stuff. Yeah. Well. <laughs> We, we, we do, uh, we I'll do do that. We, right. we, we, we always, you know, you know, we always manage to come up with enough words to, uh, to fill however much time we have allotted to us. It's funny. I, I was at a conference, uh, speaking at a conference this week. Um, and because of the, the weather that you guys have on the East coast, uh, there were, you know, upwards of a thousand flights canceled. And so a couple of people that were supposed to be, uh, at this conference, um, couldn't make it into town. And so the, the organizer asked me uh, if I'd be willing to sit in on one of the panels. And, you know, I said, sure. I said, you know, what, so, you know, what do you think we can talk about for an hour? I said, oh, don't worry. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll fill up, we'll fill the time with words. <laughs> and we did. Hey, yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes it's all, all it's, all it's needed is just uh, an open time slot. Um, yeah. So yes. And just turn on the mic that- and, and, you know, let us go. Right. It's, it's like wind up. Uh, the people that we advised about car purchases, please don't let us forget um, the good or bad or horrific experience you had taking our advice or ignoring our advice because you realized we were full of beans. So uh, I'd love to hear how some of those turn out. All right. We'll talk to you all next week. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.